The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top 5 UFC Championship Performances with special guest co-host Dan Levy. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer who you can find at MMA Junkie, as well as ActionNetwork.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, but in a slightly different way. That's right, a rare UFC off week where guys like me and my co-host here get to kind of stretch from our perspective beats. And uh, hopefully with your guys' uh, you know, help, we can all kind of go back in time here and uh, appreciate the history in a sport that kind of grows before our eyes. But of course, uh, I I need, uh, you want, uh, it makes it just better to have another co-host, especially one uh, for these shows. I'm really selective. You know, you got to make sure you've got some fandom. uh, You know, you know your stuff. doesn't matter when you tuned in. There's people who tuned in maybe 2018, but they've got a decent knowledge. Me and Dan, will talk about it here. We've got a nice parallel knowledge that goes back about the same time, which is nice. We'll see where we end up. But everybody say hi to today's co-host, at Best Fight Picks is where you can find him on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button for his show there. Half the battle that's been going down for almost a decade. Dan is one of the longest uh, MMA podcasters, MMA gambling podcasters, and has one of the longest sample sizes of third-party track. That's right. That's actually really legit and impressive. Dan, what's up, dude? Oh, man. I appreciate the intro. I appreciate being here with you, especially for this topic, man. I mean, I know every single time that I come on your show, we did what? the top five featherweight wars we did the top five promos and now we're gonna do the top five championship performances which is something that is one of my favorite topics because i'm always admiring greatness i'm always looking at these these men and women that are uh breaking records and looking to take that sport to that next level and i think we got an incredible list i know i do and i highly uh believe that you do as well of a list that not just the modern era, but even the people that brought the sport to where it is today. Some of the pioneers. So, so many incredible performances. And I just want to give a quick disclaimer. Listen, guys, to narrow down this list to the top five was very tough. So I want you to know my list is not the be all end all. Right. There's so many. If, if, if uh, Dan Tom's show was the top 20 it'd be a lot easier for me. But that's what makes it special, the top five, to really narrow it down to these are the, these are the, these are the gold standards. These are the ones you go back and you watch. And uh, to narrow it down to that was tough, but it's exciting, it's challenging, and let's get right down to business, Dan Tom. 
Absolutely, man. You set it up beautifully. You know, when I do these uh, articles and I may have to, you know, kind of cheat uh, and do maybe a top 10 version of this when I have to do it for uh, uh, the, the written version for Junkie. I say the same thing as Dan. This is not an end-all be-all list. This is simply my top five. This is simply Dan's top five. And as you guys are more than welcome to submit at the PYN podcast on all social platforms, you see Dan uh, there at Best Fight Picks for his uh, his name tag. My name tag is also my handle at Dan Tom MMA. May. Um, but yeah, we're going to be reading off because Dan actually got a, a post, uh, which we'll say for honorable mentions, that got a lot of great mentions on there. So I'll let Dan kind of uh, pick off from there when we get to it. But we're going to put our best foot forward, but we're going to be kind of counting backwards. For those of you guys who know the top five lists, uh, we'll take a list. You know, uh, I, I, I took this idea kind of a podcast. I like the film vault. They'll do like top five bad cops. They'll do top five drug dealers or, you know, and so I'm like, why don't we just do that for MMA? Of course, we're doing... Um, top five uh, championship performances. And, um, you know, I, I do say my, my list jumps around a bit. We, we are limiting ourselves to the UFC. We'll see if anything maybe from the 90s gets in there, whether it be on our list or as an honorable mention. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like to do my best, and I know my guests, we do our best to kind of just, you know, bring you what we think is the best. And not like the threads that you see often on uh, Twitter these days that only date back to 2016. <laughs> We're not going to short you on that end, at least that much I can guarantee. But yes, we do like to start from 5 to 1, uh, like a tennis game. Uh, I, I tend to like my let my guests go first. And Dan, we've been doing this for a minute, man. We both had to dust off some really old notes here. Um, so you know the drill, man. Uh, I'm going to let you kick it off. I'm going to give you the steering wheel. Uh, to make your number five spot. And again, I saw this on some of the people replying to your list, Dan. You can weigh in. Number five is a very unique spot for me. And sometimes, especially for lists like this, it's like the hardest spot. What did you think for your number five? I have a feeling that you're going to be surprised by my number five. Right. I have a feeling that not only you, but a lot of the listeners are not expecting these words to come out of my mouth. But nice. let me tell you something, Dan Tom, at UFC 116, Brock Lesnar fought Shane Carwin. And first of all, that card just from start to finish was incredible. So if y'all have never seen it, I yeah. highly recommend you go back and, uh, you know, brush up on the history. But let me tell y'all something about this fight between Brock Lesnar and Shane Carwin. Because we're talking about the greatest championship performances. And there's a lot of different ways to kind of distinguish what you consider to be a championship performance. You know, there's a lot of elements of what makes a champion, Dan Tom, whether we're talking about dominance, whether we're talking about well-roundedness, whether we're talking about one of my favorites, overcoming adversity and showing the heart of a champion. So let's talk about this for a second. So UFC 116, Brock Lesnar takes on Shane Carwin, and that first round – I know back then they were hesitant to give 10-7s and stuff, but that was like the definition of a 10-7. Dan Tom, I'm, I know you're not big on stats, but let me tell you something. Sometimes stats, you'll look at them and you'll be like, dude, that's total BS. Like, no way did this guy double that guy up on strikes. Or, or, yeah. like, or like you watch that fight between Iron Turtle and uh, John Phillips where he lands like 200 ground strikes. But they only counted like five of them as significant. So, like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not here to debate any of the validity of, of that right. kind of BS because you and I both know that's a bunch of crap. Right. But there are times when the stats counters will actually paint a story. And when you look at round one, Dan Tom, of this Shane Carwin versus Brock Lesnar fight, and I, and I mentioned I was 10 7, dude, 
the strike count was 40 to 3. 40 to 3, Dan Tom. And I bet those three strikes Brock Lesnar landed might have been like a slap to the ear or something like we wanted to be nice and call it significant. But the point I'm trying to make is that this guy got dominated pillar to post in a way where if he would have just turtled up and, and let the ref intervene, no one would have held it against him because that ass whooping Shane Carwin put on him was hellacious. And at the time, Shane Carwin was a scary dude. Shane Carwin was that guy yeah. that touches you one time. He was like the the white American Ganu at one point. And um, he put <laughs> it on Brock Lesnar in a way. And I remember showing this fight to my brother. My brother is not a big MMA fan like I am. So I'm always trying to introduce him, show him the right fight so that he can gain the appreciation that I have for the sport because, you know what, that's uh, my brother. That's my family member. I want him to appreciate what I like and stuff like that. So I remember showing him this fight, and when it comes to round two, he's like, wow, I can't believe this guy got back up. Not only does this guy get back up, he goes out there. He blast doubles Shane Carwin, who is also a very qualified collegiate wrestler, and then he gets that nasty arm triangle, gets him to tap. And when you look at the backstory, Dan Tom, because this was UFC 116, right? Yeah. Prior to that, Brock Lesnar fought at UFC 100 against Frank Mir. He obliterated Frank Mir the second time they fought, right? Because the first time was a knee bar. Second time was a ground and pound TKO. But a lot of people forget that Brock Lesnar made an ass out of himself at UFC 100. He gets on the mic, and at the time, Bud Light was the big sponsor. He's like, he's like, I want to drink a Coors Light because Bud Light won't pay me nothing. And you know, and you remember the scene where he's going up to the fence, and you see the drool coming out of his mouth. And he was just, a, he was very classless in victory, which I don't care. It's the fight game. I enjoy it all. But like, let's just call a spade a spade. He was very classless at UFC 100. And then you remember at the post-fight press conference, he had the Bud Light bottle on his on his podium, and then he had to apologize. He had to do the whole bit, right? So, so people were looking down on Brock Lesnar. So he takes that whooping at Shane Carwin in round one. He comes back in round two, finishes the fight, which was incredible in itself. But then he gets on the mic, and he's like, I stand before you a humble champion. And that's when the fans really came around on Brock Lesnar. Like, there was an intrigue already by, I mean, you look at the guy's physique. He's a monster. You want to see him fight anyways. But that was the first time that he appeared to be endearing to the fans. And I know I'm, I'm, go, I'm going off on a tangent here. No, it's no, really it's good. About the, it's really about the performance. But I felt like he showed championship qualities overcoming that ass whooping when you think this guy is just a bully. You think that this guy can give it but can't take it. Guess what? He can take it too. Comes back, finishes the fight, gives a championship speech. That's my number five, Dan Tom. That, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you're going with uh... – comeback style performances because for me um it was such a hard topic that and this isn't really a spoiler alert because it is such a big topic but me i'm such a fan of comebacks so you're automatically in my heart with that but because i'm such a fan of comebacks i noticed that a lot of the selections that were uh, comeback related from certain fighters catalogs i talk about them so much and i have them in so many other lists so for me i'm like i'm gonna try to leave those out so for you to touch on some of those from such a legendary card, by the way, folks. Like, UFC 116 was one of those rare cards, right, Dan, where the hype matched the outcome. It was sorely hype. Like, Rogan was hyping it on his podcast. I think the Joe Rogan podcast maybe just started maybe around then. I don't know. I just remember Joe Rogan saying, White Gorilla Festival, and it was, like, really catchy. Maybe he didn't have the podcast back then, but, like, everybody was like, you know, you talk about the Ninganu thing. Like, that was 
a legit thing. Like, they were running the Ford Escort line, right, before Ninganu and, and Miocic at UFC 220. But before they had to resort to cars, what was the what was the heavyweight measurement? It was the glove size, right? Like, Brock Lesnar is this glove size. And then when Shane Carwin came around, he's like, he's got a 5X. He's got an even bigger. And our minds were just like, Poof. you know, you know, that's what they used to kind of promote was, like, glove sizes. And, yeah, the dude, it, it wasn't just 40 to 3. I mean, that's a Shane Carwin... 40 to 3. And uh, speaking of low-key things on the side that, you know, you could write off as your tangent, but I thought it was great, Dan. But uh, I don't know if you... Tell me if you remember this, Dan, and people in the audience. But uh, as you were saying this, I remember that this was one of those fights, kind of like Adesanya can near how they had, like, Vince McMahon and <laughs> Topical, uh, all the WWE people, like, out watching it. Like, this was one of the fights where, like, Undertaker, Vince, like, a bunch of big people came out. Maybe not Vince, but, like, Undertaker and a bunch of big names came out to watch which wasn't necessarily a first, but I remember on the walk back to the octagon, brought, uh, out of the octagon, Brock's, you know, all beat up. He's got the belt. He's He's got that shit-eating grin on his face, and he walks over because they're pretty much front row, right? And I just remember the look on, like, the people like Undertaker, all these pros of the business. Undertaker, dude, right. him and the Undertaker's little nonverbal exchange was spoke yeah. volumes. Yeah, but also just the impressiveness that was kind of on the surrounding uh, wrestling people's face, so to speak, because these are people who, you know, that comeback that Dan laid out, like that's like a standard pay-per-view, you know, or a night at Monday Night Raw. Like that's the that's the drama of wrestling. Very few do you get the one-sided fight, you know, is so much in the pro wrestling. Like you see comebacks like that all the time, but those people know that those are works, and this was a shoot that almost ended up looking like a real pro wrestling match. And maybe I'm speaking for them, but just the looks on their faces, like, it's like, you know it's impressive when those people are impressed. Because that's what they do for a living, in a way, is try to recreate that scene, and they just got to see it in real life. And even they were, like, awestruck. Because I remember watching it live, Dan, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing in that fight. Yeah. You said it well. Took the words out of my mouth, my boy. All right. All right, so my number five... um, This one, maybe uh, both by the pick and maybe me picking it isn't that crazy. This is usually where I go the hipster spot. And I was initially going to do that. Um, But again, you kind of got to rewatch these, see how these hit you. And it's tough, right? Because originally, and I'll I'll say this without spoiling it, although uh, my co-host and other hardcore slash hardcore analysts, um, this description may be enough to know what I'm talking about. I almost went with one of the most impressive pressuring performances in a title fight that alone might give it away for some people maybe maybe it'll come up on dan's list later who knows it'll definitely come up in honorable mentions but i didn't go with that pressuring performance um even you know uh instead what i went with and this isn't you know some you can look at like comeback some you can look at like uh, as a technique this was a a great performance that uh, not just a great title performance but it, it highlighted this technique there's a lot of different contexts that we'll talk about i'm sure this one was just an awesome performance, man. When you talk about performance art, um, when you talk about uh, even the context, a similar similar context even you could argue uh, as far as the Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin, where Brock Lesnar was the star, he is the winner of this fight, but stock was low on him. And you could argue, especially with the betting line, you know, he was technically an underdog. It closes at even, but Max Holloway, stock was low. Even though he, you look back at the record before he fought Brian Ortega, at UFC 231, that's my pick. That he actually was—you see a bunch of green, right? If you're if you're shocky on your history or you didn't weren't watching the sport live, then you'd be like, "What are you, what are you talking about? How was stock low?" 
You know, you look at Brian Ortega maybe since, the inactivity, a little more reds. You know, even Max Holloway, you know, has, has had some more reds, but that was his, his prime. Well, people forget, of course, not you, Dan, of course, I'm talking more to the audience, that Max Holloway had some weird concussion symptoms that were really kind of creepy to this day. They still really don't know. He went even after the fact and had continued tests. Um, but you could clearly see it on interviews, you know, that he was doing with Bisping and promotionals leading up to uh, leading yeah. up to, to a, a fight that was supposed to be done in the summer with Ortega. They had great promotionals. You know, both the guys were surfers. Both the guys had their... You know, there were fighters, and that all kind of gets scrapped fight week in July, and they bump it to later in the year in uh, in, uh, in Canada. And it was just one of those things where it was a fade more on Max's health, right? Everybody from the betting public to the pundits were questioning Max. And, you know, Ortega has the submission game. We, have, we haven't really seen this, and yeah, sure, he's not the most reliable process or wrestling, but... Look at this guy. He's the round three specialist next to Yoel Romero. Like, he could just pull a finish out of nowhere. And Max just takes him to school, man. Like, you know, you're looking at, you know, all these performances on my list without naming any to spoil. And I'm like, I mean, as far as taking to school, uh, there's very few that compete with this, you know. I almost had another Hawaiian taking a fighter to school on my list, even in his honorable mention. I'm like, that doesn't even compete with this one. I mean, Max is taking Ortega's hands and teaching him how to block in the middle <laughs> of the fight, you know. And if you're a fan of Max Holloway and the countering and combinations, I mean, the boxing, uh, the Asia Pacific Islander thing, the the not the bandana, but the headband that he would wear out, you know, it's like, were we getting our own Manny Pacquiao, you know, the countering and combinations, except he just did it on 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 steroids, for lack of a better word, times 10, you know, just the, the waves of countering and combinations and angling on Ortega, and you think the combination's done, and he angles off, goes to the body, comes back up to the head, follows him out. I mean, it was just insane. Uh, you want to talk numbers, you know, go look at the numbers on that fight, too, uh, when they've had time to sort the fight metric. Not the ones so much live on the broadcast, even, but just, yeah, just yeah. the ones they settle on. Uh, him looking over to his, you know, his cage side, his son, which is a really dangerous thing to do in this game, to have your your children. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it or, like, morally dissing. I'm just saying, like, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, it's kind of a, I'm not, I'm not dissing it, but it is a crazy thing, right? It could go badly. And uh, you know he he's got he's got he's got many blessed out there his son and he's giving him the sign you know telling him it's gonna him in the commentary it's gonna be this round uh, this is the round it's gonna be in and he technically misses it right he almost get the stoppage which would have been forgiven in what was a near ten seven round I mean really right and uh, and then it ends up you know thankfully uh, thankfully getting stopped uh, but um, uh, in the corner but yeah that that was uh, I don't know man this was just an amazing performance and. I had to, I had to give uh, Max Holloway some love on this list. What what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean when you go out there, put up historic numbers, triple a man up on strikes, teach him how to block in the midst of a fight. Um, yeah, I mean that that's one of those gold standard fights uh, that kind of proves the point about you know the consistent you know volume attack of a guy like Holloway against the guy in Ortega who. He's not going to win minutes like the kids like to say, but he's opportunistic and he needs that one big moment. And when that one big moment doesn't come against a guy like Max Holloway, Bobrecito, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You're going to be eating big, you're not, not necessarily big shots, but accumulating shots. And it's just like that death of a thousand cuts approach, which he's done throughout his career. I mean, even in non-championship fights like the cater fight, which, 
was a championship performance despite there not being a belt on the line, right? Just the caliber. So, yeah, I mean, 100% that has to be on the list. Yeah, also, uh, it also, it was weird. We saw Hawaiian embraced by Canada, you know, from the, from fans like us, Dan, who are around from the BJ Penn to GSP rivalry. We wouldn't think that would be a thing that was possible, but the Toronto Raptors love, uh, it all kind of came full circle, and both Max and Canada matched that embrace that Max had for Canada, and that was always cool to see. There's a lot of country, you know, supporting their fighters, and that's beautiful, and that makes crazy scenes, right, too. That's all cool. But it is cool when you just see random countries embrace random fighters. Like, that shit's pretty cool, too. I think it's a thing where Max Holloway is going to be appreciated anywhere he goes. Yeah, the way he too. carries yeah. himself. I've never heard him say anything bad about anyone, which, don't get me wrong, I love my shit talk. But I like more when someone is themselves, right? When yeah. they're not going out there forcing things. And BJ Penn, who I also love. You know, he's more of a shit talker. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, when he's, you know, not not just berating GSP, but Faraz and all this and that, it's understandable why, you know, he got booed in that, right. in that spot yeah, compared yeah. to Holloway, whereas also Holloway wasn't fighting a, a, a hero from Canada either. That's you true, know? too. You yeah, that's to true, too. Who, who, who do you look up to more? It's Holloway all day over sure. Ortega. Sure, absolutely. Hey, before we get to number four, I just want to note something that's pretty cool. You know, we delineated, like, comebacks. There's, you know, techniques. There's dominations and shows. Uh Um, You know, there's all these different contexts. And one of the most common contexts I found that was worried we weren't going to break away from is most of the things that come up on lists, and I'm sure it'll come up on our list too, no shame. But it's usually uh, for, you know, we're doing greatest, you know, uh, we're, we're doing a you know top five UFC championship performances, and usually it's the the challenger uh, winning in a lot of these because you may, it makes sense. It's like you know not that they have to be the challenger, not that they have to be an underdog, but what often makes things great is this narrative of not expecting it, right? That expectancy bias, so to speak. Shout out to a, a severe MMA podcast that coined that phrase, but like you know I don't know if it's like expectancy bias that plays into that, Dan, but like. Uh, I'm glad that, like, look, you look at our number fives that me and Dan did, and they're actually uh, two champions uh, defending, uh, holding holding the line. So that was interesting. I'm, I'm glad we had that. And by the way, it's not wrong. I don't know if me or Dan will make this case, but, you know, again, I always encourage to get as cute as you want with a topic, right? And technically, Dan, me or you could could pick a, a, a loser in a championship fight if the performance was good enough, right? Now that would probably entail some type of air quotes robbery R word, right? Or something <laughs> like that. But you know what I'm saying? Like you could get really cute. Maybe there are things that are maybe even at least qualify for the honorable mention. So uh, again, don't limit yourself folks for this topic. If you want to contribute post show in the comments below, hit that like button. It's much appreciated. Um, all right. With that being said, where does your number four land? What kind of, what kind of selection we got for number four, Dan? Well, I'm glad you asked that, and I'm also glad you prefaced it with the fact that both our number fives were champions defending their belt. And you mentioned how that's awesome, but there's also got to be those challengers that come up and make statements. And that's what I got with my number four. And a big talking point, and like, for example, the last year or two, every year people come up with different phrases, different this, different that of how they want to describe things, not just in fighting, but in life in general. And now there's this whole thing about he is him, right? Like like they're calling – like if you're the man, they call you him. And if you're a badass chick, they say you're that bitch. And you know who – you know what's the biggest I'm that bitch performance? 
Joanna Young Jacek versus Carla Esparza, man. I remember because because think about great this, man. call, great At call. At the time, right? Like <sighs> people were hesitant about women fighting in the UFC. People were like. You know, even even you look back at the Sean Strickland um, pre- press conference he had like a week or two ago, right? And he was talking about how like, you know, I don't want to watch cats fight. I want to watch lions fight, which is a very like sexist thing to say. But I also understand where someone would be coming from saying that. Like, be, if it's your preference that you'd rather watch the men fight, I can't be the guy to hold that against you. What I would hold um, against someone is if they were disparaging a high-level fighter just because they're a woman or something like saying, oh, she can't fight or this or that. When Joanna Janjacek was in her prime, like it was one of those situations. Like You remember when Ronda was in her prime and people were talking about, oh, she could beat Floyd Mayweather? Or when Conor McGregor was untouchable, that people were like, he could fight John Jones. Like, people, like at one point, some of these fighters had such an aura that people thought they were superhuman. And I felt like Joanna Janjacek brought that to women's MMA, man, because like when she fought Carla Esparza, dude, no one wanted Carla to be champ. I mean, she pissed everybody off on the Tough House, being a bully to random Marcos. Her style is probably top ten most boring styles in all of MMA. No disrespect, I mean, I'm a grappler myself, but I don't really like watching grappling. But <laughs> and I say that, of course, I love beautiful scrambles. Of course, sure. I love high-level techniques but if you ask me okay there's a ufc fight on and there's the adcc or ibjjf worlds or whatever on dude i'm watching ufc all day and i'm a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu is pretty much the only martial art i train so what you do and what you watch are two completely different things and with joanna and carla firstly Joanna in the face-offs, like, remember when she used to get down low and then look up right into your eyes and she put the fear in these girls? And when you talk about the biggest I am him performance or I'm that bitch performance, like, when she went out there against Carla, literally stuffed almost every takedown, TKO'd her, which, like, you don't often see knockouts in the women's divisions, Dan Tom, let alone at 115 pounds. And you see this Polish girl kind of on the skinnier side, you know, might not look that intimidating just from a bird's eye view, but you hear her talk, you see her presence, you see the way she carries herself in there, her dominance when she fights, and you you don't judge a book by its cover with Joanna Janjacek in her prime. Because you, you remember when we used to call Joanna violence? Like, dude, so that performance she had against Joanna, uh, against Carla Esparza, that's got to be one of my top five championship performances because it was like, Yo, who is this chick? Yeah, man. I uh I don't think I was gambling on that fight, thank goodness, but like I do remember that I picked I thought Esparza would win. It's kinda like at like men's heavyweight. Like there's just not that many wrestlers, you know? So if there's if you wrestle at heavyweight or if you wrestle in the women's division, I'm like, Oh, you immediately have an edge over like most of your competition and that may be very well be true on paper. Uh but Yoana and Jacek in that fight not just showed um, I, I don't know if they were c- comparing her to like a female Chuck Liddell or what they were using as far as her sprawling ball, brawl because she didn't use a lot of kicks when she first came in, um, which was probably smart, you know, uh, and she got more comfortable with it. But in the beginning, she actually didn't use a lot of kicks. She was getting those knockdowns, uh, you know, the, in the first um, Gladelia fight. Those were punches. And she was carving up Esparza with elbows. It was beautiful. Like from a technical perspective, it wasn't just sprawling brawl. She was, it's a really good fight 
regardless of male or female, to watch for frames in MMA and using short elbows off of frames. Like a short elbow framing performance, it's easy top five as well. It's right on your top five list as well. You know what I'm saying? Like This fight's not going anywhere if we're talking about that, regardless men or, or women. Uh, and it got so uncomfortable watching her just carve up. Uh, and it's just like nodding and lumping up a spar. It's not even so much like she's slicing her up, as she's like lumping her up. And uh, it was just like, they could have stopped it sooner probably, to be honest. But uh, it was brutal, man. And I think it was one of those where like, it looks like it's about to be a standing stoppage. But Carla took so much where like the ref, when they like made her DS3, where the ref stops it and the fighter like slumps right after. I think it was one of those two was like super dramatic. You're like, oh, it was brutal. It was like, that's a great pick though. That's a great pick. I love that pick. Thanks, man. And another thing, like we talked about the dominance in the fight and we talked about the face-off, but to put more emphasis on it, I felt like that was one of those perfect examples of the mental warfare prior to that, right? Like I felt like she had already beaten Carla before the fight even started, which was so important because like, dude, wrestling wasn't developed in Poland at that time, man. Like, do you remember like Jan Blachowicz? I'm talking about way before he was the champ when like he fought Gustafsson, like he'd rock him with these shots. Gustafsson just shoots a takedown, holds him down the rest of the round, the rest of the fight. You watch, um, Jan Blahovic versus Corey uh, Anderson the first time, not when he knocked him into the 10th row, but the, the first time when he got 30-25. Like, dude, wrestling and stuff like that in Poland and some of these parts of Europe, I'm not talking about, you know, the Russians, and stuff, but I'm talking about, like, you know, right. Poland and some of these more emerging spots. They weren't up to date back then, my man. This was like, like, damn, this was before Joanna trained at ATT, right? So for her to yeah. have that kind of performance against Carla who already had probably the highest wrestling credentials in women's MMA. I mean, Tatiana had not made her debut yet. So, yeah, it's just impressive on so many levels inside uh, the octagon, outside, mental, just physical techniques. Yeah, so it's definitely my number four. Nice. That's a solid pick, man. Um, so my number four is where we, we might get into some crossover. Okay. Uh, perhaps. And this is definitely like, because this is definitely a popular pick. And hopefully, I'm not. If it is thinking of battleship, is not high on the list. I feel like this one would be high on a lot of people's list too. Um, you know, you could. I mean, it definitely would make will make the top ten junkie one that I do. But it even makes my top five, even though it, you wouldn't expect. You know, Ocatrarian Dan Tom here to, to 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 lean into lean into Conor McGregor, and uh, you know, he gets enough attention. You know, da 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 da. You know, he's now he's got the, you know, not to timestamp these episodes too much, but the Roadhouse Jake Gyllenhaal trailer just dropped and we're seeing Connor. By the way, Connor looks like he's just like a roided up date rapist in that movie. So I don't know if he's a method actor. No, I'm just kidding. Bad joke. Sorry. Allegedly. Uh, no, no, no. But like, you know, listen, the reason why, all jokes aside, the reason why Connor is in that spot, he's popular. Um, you know, uh, whether it's a, a, a you know, a, a punchline, a headline. Uh, a byline, and I'm not a byline, but you know he's he's getting you know uh, proper billing in these movies. Uh, obviously, the attention he commands within the mixed martial arts space. This doesn't happen if this guy uh, doesn't win, and I'm not talking about a 13 second win because, although you know you could really say be like, what else do you want? A flawless victory, 13 seconds. You guys are talking about you know top performances and title fights. How do you how do you top that? You ask every fighter what will be the perfect night. Oh, I go in there and I knock him out with the first punch. But no, it, it, despite the arguments that you could easily make, no, I'm going with Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez at UFC 205. Now this one, you know, Conor's not showing anything new as far as what he does, and what he does is great, obviously. 
so it's not so much like, you know, this fight put this technique on the map or this fight changed this. Uh, what it did change was the kind of double champ era, right? I mean, you had guys, we mentioned BJ Penn enough, uh, Randy Couture. They were the only ones to have dual championships, but not simultaneously, right? They didn't hold both belts at the same time. Of course, the first person to do that in modern MMA who newer fans somehow miss is Dan Henderson at Pride 33. You want a thread that'll entertain you and actually teach you something, go find the thread I did on that one. Uh, first guy in modern MMA to do it. So we're not discounting Dan Henderson here, but but the title never, is... We'll, we'll never discount no. Dan Henderson. No, no, no. But again, playing to the title, right? What's the title on this episode? It's UFC, and that was, of course, took place at Pride 33 uh, before the purchase and all that. Um, so yes, as far as UFC goes, yes, Connor is the first. He does it at UFC 205 against Eddie Alvarez. And again, kind of like the Max uh, Ortega, this is really... Just as far as pure performance as an art form, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, a complete different style, a pressuring style, but a pressure counter style, which is McGregor. And was just so patient, was so smooth. Um, not just the fancy showmanship stuff, which usually like I'm not the biggest fan of, but it was so cool, Like especially with his style. And I don't know if he was trying to imitate this when he went the hands behind the back but whenever i write it up i'm like he looks like you know one of those old school drawings of like a 1930s b- baseball pitcher at the mount you know and he just looks like he's just like ready to you know where it shows the back perspective and you've got the you know you've got the crowd behind right and then the the i don't know i'm not a baseball person i'm sorry folks but the whatever that back fence is kind of you know from a perspective shot it's just beautiful right uh in baseball those behind the pitcher shots you know he's got his hand behind his back you don't know what pitch he's gonna throw and that was essentially the spirit of what Connor was doing. Even when you go watch the fight, like the the ground and pound that he does, that you can you want to talk about takedown defense? Like uh, he had very underrated, uh, very underrated uh, um, uh, ground game. Connor did um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belt at the time, and really worked hard to improve his wrestling, which is why people uh, like me were foolish enough to take a flyer pick. <laughs> Uh, against uh, Khabib. <laughs> they were stupid enough to do that. And if they were, they probably because they looked at the Eddie Alvarez fight and other things where you just really saw Connor uh, not just doing what Connor does on the feet, but he really, like, he, he was using the wizard um, when, when Eddie goes to go and, 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 uh, pressure against the cage for uh, cage for the double he splits his legs like he's doing all these technical things that are just so beautiful the ground and pound holding the leg up hammer fists um even just the takedown defense in close he's getting head position like beautiful head position on on the stuffs uh really just complete performance you you almost think of it as a one round fight because of how smooth and quick and the way the highlights get replayed you forget that it went a whole two uh, it went a whole round before it ends uh, you forget how many actual knockdowns there were. Um, I am not a fan of the post-fight speech because it's right then, in my opinion, is when you start see. I thought it was me just being a traditional martial arts snob, contrarian. I'm not a fan of trash talk. I don't really care for that post-fight. But if you look at Connor's arc, it was kind of from that point forward. Although, in his defense, I went back to watch it, and I'm like, you know what? I actually like it more now because... He's like, we just sold this freaking fucking company for four point five point two billion. They can't give me a fucking belt. <laughs> and I was like, that is a fucking good diss right there by Connor. He's like, they did just. If you look at the time frame, this was after, really recently after their sale, folks. The sale didn't happen at UFC two hundred like we think about. That's when it happened behind the scenes, but we didn't find out about it till later that year in twenty sixteen, right? So it was just really cool. <laughs> you look back, like, oh yeah, Connor called their called their asses out for finances before it became like kind of more in vogue to do in his defense uh, for whatever that's worth. But Dan, you got anything on this one? 
Yeah, no, it's on my list as well, further down. So I'm gonna save oh, my comments shit. for, for when I, I get I sit, there. I sit here and yeah, okay, I'll, yeah, hold it. Sure, sorry, my bad. Oh you, no, please. I mean, it was right on, on your list for a reason, just like it's on my list for a reason. <laughs> so no, I 100% agree with. Uh, I mean, that has to be up there for sure. All right. Uh, well, if that if that's the case, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll pocket it and we'll let you save it because it sounds like you've got some good things to say about it. And we'll just keep the order if that's if that's fine. You know, sometimes we'll do a Chinese fire drill, but I think we can keep it. I think we can just keep it flowing there. Apologies for sinking your battleship, sir. But no, uh, no, no, no. Please. The ball the ball is back in your court for your number three. What made your number three? So Dan, Tom, I hope this doesn't piss you off, but <laughs> I actually have a tie. Okay, no, no, you guess go. For number three, okay. Right. And my tie for number three is what I literally consider to be the two best light heavyweight uh, championship performances in the history of the sport. Forgivable, okay? there's so, a tie-in, there's a tie-in. Okay, forgivable, let's let's hear the tie-in. Let's, let's hear okay. it there, that's good. So the first one happened back in, at UFC 128, in 2011 and there was this 23 year old kid named johnny bones jones and you know the best guy he had fought at the time was like a ryan bader and a stephen bonner and you know a jake o'brien and this and that and you know yeah and john jones had all the physical attributes and this and that we were thinking okay you know this kid's a stud but but i mean he's fighting mauricio shogun uh, mauricio shogun you know like yeah you know, you know just go up there and fight like at the time bro i don't know if people remember the regard we held shogun in and shogun's one of those fan favorites to the point where like we'll make excuses for this guy we'll downplay his losses we'll overblow his wins we'll fucking get down on our knees and pray to the god known as mauricio shogun who are like so like it was like one of those cases where like shogun can do no wrong right and the fight happened back in 2011. So I vividly remember John Jones took a lot of heat because when he was signing autographs in the lead up to this fight, he, he didn't just write John Jones. He wrote John Jones champion 2011 on every single autograph, right? And he wasn't champion. And the champ was Shogun, who, like I told you, the regard the fans held this guy in was like, yo, like if you – like. Saying any kind of bad word about Shogun, and when I say bad word, it doesn't even mean insulting him. It, it, it even means saying he's going to lose a fight. Though those were like fighting words. You don't you don't ever say Mauricio Shogun Hua is going to lose a fight, right? And I thought Mauricio Shogun Hua was going to beat the shit out of this young little loudmouth, right? Dan Tom, the final strike count was seventy-five to nine on significance. <laughs> When I tell you that this was one of the most pillar-to-post ass-whoopings I've ever seen, look at the strike counts per round. Strike uh, round one, 25 to 5. Round two, and, okay, and that's significant. Let's go totals. Let's go totals. Okay, round one, 31 to 5. Round two, 41 to 5. Round three, 30 to 1. I mean, when you talk about dominance... You talk about this performance right here. That was just pure domination against a legend, against a future Hall of Famer. I mean, I'm sure – I know Shogun's fight with Hendo's already in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not sure if Shogun the fighter himself is in the Hall of Fame yet. But uh, believe you me to quote Bisming, he will be one day very soon. So 
to have a perform like if he had that performance against Jake O'Brien or Matt Hamill or you know okay cool like it's still like hey take note this is impressive but to do it against Mauricio Shogun Hua at that time was like yo like like, like do you remember in Scarface when um when uh so Tony kills Rabanga, like the communist <laughs> in that in that little in in Freedom Town, right? And then yep. he has to go to Frank uh, Lopez, his first boss, to like give him the briefcase with like the coke and like the money and all that. And um, you know, I forget the exact words, but this is what I remember. To- um, Tony Montana was like, "Oh, don't mention it. It was fun." And Frank Lopez was like, oh, it was fun. It was fun. So, like, that's how, like, I view, like, John Jones. Like, bro, like, it wasn't, like, even about, you know, he talked about in his interviews how he dehumanized Shogun to a point where, like, even in, like, the the media uh, press conferences, he would say, like, some shit where, like, he'd be like, Shogun's a man. Just, Shogun poops just like I poop. Shogun puts on his pants in the morning just like I do. And I remember Shogun's face when John Jones said that. He's like, what the fuck is this guy talking about right now? Like, bringing up shit like that. But, like, bro, like, when they got in there, the domination, and that literally set the tone for what would go on to be a 10-plus year reign. And when I talk about that, Dan, Tom, you got to understand something. John Jones, so he's been in the UFC since 2008, right? We're currently in 2024. He's never lost a fight, Dan Tom. He's never lost a fight, Dan Tom, to this day. So that fight against Shogun set the tone, and that was the most dominant performances we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport. So now let me tell you the fight that ties with it, right? right. So in a weight class that John Jones ruled for over 10 years, the same weight class that had Chuck Liddell, the same weight class that had Rampage, Lyoto, Shogun, Rampage, Forrest, Rashad. I don't know if I've mentioned their names a couple times. I can keep going. Right. In that same weight class, there's this guy named Jamal Hill. He goes in there against Glover in his title fight, and he breaks the record for significant strikes landed in a title fight at light heavyweight in a division that John Jones ruled for over 10 years. I feel like that fight Jamal had against Glover is an all-timer. I mean, when you look at the significant strike uh, numbers, and this is one where I do agree with them because I watched the fight, and, okay, if they're wrong, they're only wrong by a few strikes. It's not like some of those like fights where like they say, oh, this guy doubled that guy up on strikes, and we watched the fight, and we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Here, the strike count was 232 to 75, right? And that's just talking about on the feet, right? Now let's talk about how amazing of a grappler Glover Teixeira is. Jamal Hill passed Glover to Shara's guard. Jamal Hill got taken down and mounted by Glover to Shara, escaped all those positions, reversed them, gets on top of him, passes to side control. He stuffs 15 of 17 takedowns in addition to setting the significant strike record in a division that John Jones ruled for over 10 years. I don't understand how this fight is so underlooked like it's so like underrated this performance because i really felt like we witnessed greatness dan tom and i haven't witnessed that kind of greatness in the light heavyweight division since the john jones versus shogun fight so for me it had to be those two tied 
John Jones setting the tone and Jamal taking it to that next level. I love it, man. I love it. You know, John Jones, uh, if it did a top five performances, that's toward the top of the list. I don't know if I would be controversial by putting what's technically a no contest, but to me is one of his most impressive performances is his rematch with DC. Well, uh, uh, Dan Tom, Dan Tom, sorry to cut yo, you off. Yeah. I watched a fight, but you're talking about the second one, right? Yeah. I watched the fight between John Jones and Daniel Cormier, mm-hmm. and in that fight, John Jones knocked out Daniel Cormier with one of the nicest combinations I've ever seen. The head kick to the foot sweep to the flying knee to the ground and pound. So people can give me, oh, no contest, this and that, yeah. like acting as if the fight never took place. I don't give a fuck about that. Like to me, like do you remember that fight Anderson Silva had with Yushin, not in the UFC, but outside. Yeah. It was, was it Rumble, Rumble on the Rock yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so so he hits him with that up, nasty, beautiful technique, and people are, oh, that's a loss for Anderson. Okay, I saw two grown men get into a fight. I saw one man knock the other man out with one of the most beautiful techniques I've ever seen, and they call the guy that got knocked out the winner. <laughs> you yeah, know, so right, to me, yeah. bro, like, I don't give a fuck about this no contest bullshit. That fight you're referencing between John Jones and Cormier is absolutely the definition of a dominant championship performance, and no one can convince me differently. Yeah, it's, it, I hold it like right up here with that Hua performance. The Hua performance is cool because it's like uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, John Jones's version of like the more uh, action uh, version of GSP before uh, you know, which I don't diss him too heavily for but before we got wrestle heavy you know like john jones was out there in that shogun hua fight he's throwing flying knees uh and then that the shot that really you know it's it's a beating that you could argue could have been stopped earlier but like the shot that really does him in is this beautiful left hook to the liver that like i'm sure he threw it in other fights but like i don't remember it his body shots ever being that effective you know until maybe that cormier fight with the setups of the body kicks to the head kind of a deal um but like yeah like it was it was just you know, an amazing performance. I know Shogun, you know, uh, was already in the beginning uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, you know, fight post-prime with the with the knee surgeries or whatnot, but it doesn't take away from the way Jones looked in that fight. And even though it wasn't a part of the fight, I wouldn't blame, and you don't need this to have your part of your argument to justify it in the top five. I would argue, I mean, just the performance all day, right? I mean, remember he stopped the street mugger uh, the day of the fight? Uh, I mean, just it sounded like he was having, like, an A-plus performance. Like, he, he should have went to the slots that day, right, Dan? He should have went to the tables and started rolling dice with the way that day was going. Like, he could not do wrong. And this is John Jones, you know? He could not do wrong that day. So that's that's a great one. And then the only thing I'll add with the Hill to Shara one, that's legit. I like that we're talking about this fight because, for me, it's like I'm, I feel like I'm cheating talking about this fight because we're doing top five, uh, you know, uh, championship performances for the UFC. Um my next top five that I'm going to be doing a written one, uh, I already did it, I believe, with Simon, my, my guy Simon Head, by the way. Check out this channel. Go back. This was during, like, the heat of the pandemic. We did that one, a uh, top five light heavyweight wars. But I got to I gotta update that list, right? There's a lot of fights, uh, you know, there, you know, uh, you know uh, that, that involve Glover Teixeira, actually, right? And that's one of them uh, that you mentioned here, which is against uh, Jamal Hill. And regardless if it makes my top five or not, you bet your ass you're probably going to see it at least in the honorable mentions, which says a lot, by the way, if we're going through top five light heavyweight fights of all time for anything even to make the honorable mention. That's a huge compliment, folks. Um, but, you know, that fight you, you nailed, you know, beautifully and stuff. And uh, it was in Brazil, so you have that effect, which is great. Um, it was not often talked about a lot. It was amazing ground and pound from Jamal Hill. What were you going to say? Sorry. 
No, I, I was just gonna say like we were talking about Holloway and Ortega earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so when you see a guy like Hill, right, and listen, pay attention to this, Danton. When people criticize Hill, it's never about his skills. It's always, always oh, got a belly or this or that. Okay, that's great. I'd rather you criticize his physique yeah. than you criticize his skills because there's nothing to criticize about his skills. And 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 people are like, oh, he doesn't take it seriously. Like, dude. Jamal just can't have a six pack. That's just what his physique <laughs> is, which which makes right. it even more more crazy. But but back on the Max Holloway topic, and and just cut me off if you need to, because I will talk about this fight ad nauseum. But like when you're a two oh five er and you put up little guy numbers, Dan Tom, yeah, you you put up the numbers that a guy like Holloway puts up, and you're a two oh five er, like hey, like that. It, I take note, Dan Tom. I take note. So yeah, yeah, I, I had a no, there. Absolutely, man. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his skills. Like his ground and pound really impressed me. The way he used grip fighting, not just to defend the takedowns like you were talking about, but the moments where he ends up actually on top toward the end. Oh my goodness, it was just brutal. Like uh, he was shutting down Glover's deep half game, um, which seems like it sounds like it should. You know, it, it it sounds like it shouldn't be that hard. Oh, you prioritize for it, like. Yeah, like tell that to everybody who fought Damian Maya. You know, say what you will right. about Colby. <laughs> say what you will about Colby and, and the amount of shots that Colby took standing in his fight. Like the fact that he was able to consistently uh, get out of that was actually really tough. You know, um, uh, you know. So uh, massive credit there. But one of my favorite things actually about the fight, and again, this is something like Jones where it was outside of the fight, so you don't have to count it. But I don't know. I kind of count it toward the overall feel of it. Um, it's one of the best like feel good moments at the end. Because you had uh, Figueredo Moreno, I believe, doing their trilogy, uh, a trilogy fight, right? Um, and that ends with uh, uh, an eye, a doctor stoppage, right? And it was a legal shot, I believe, but the crowd doesn't so see that, it. that was a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy, okay, that was a quadrilogy. But it, it ends with the uh, doctor stoppage, even though it was from a legal shot. And you, even though you could argue that the, the momentum was already going Moreno's way, of course the crowd doesn't like it. And speaking of Colby Covington... Uh, even though Moreno didn't call them any names, they treated him like Colby Covington, and they, they pelted him uh, with stuff him and his team, right? And uh, it was really bad uh, as far as that kind of stuff goes. I mean, it wasn't, you know, Matt Brown getting punched on his way to the octagon at UFC 198. Shout to that, speaking of Damian Maya, Damian Maya versus Matt Brown. Um, and Matt Brown, again, he flicked off the crowd. Again, Moreno didn't do shit, so they were out for blood, right? And Glover being just the best sportsman, you know, this is something that I say, I think, you know, John Anik says it as well. And uh, you can't name a better sportsman. If we're doing top five sportsmen in, in MMA, like Glover's number one, easily. You never see a guy, he checks out, check, t- he, he he treats opponents, what, you know, if he chokes them out unconscious, he goes and checks checks on them. And if he loses, he goes and checks on them to make sure they're okay. So much so that uh, he knew that, you know, with Jamal Hill upsetting a hero like, like Glover, um, they weren't going to be kind to him, right? And, you know, like you said, people already... Uh, for reasons sadly based on uh, appearance generally, uh, don't like Jamal Hill anyway. So they were not going to go easy on him. And Glover, knowing this, gets on the mic and says, hey, this guy is a champion. You respect him like a champion, something of that effect. And essentially he was like, he's walking back with me, so you don't throw anything. And I was like, what? Name a more classier moment. Like, not just top five sportsmen. Even if we did just like top five classy moments, like Glover's still number one. And it's probably this moment with him and Jamal Hill. And I know it's not part of the fight, but that's got to count some, right, Dan? That was awesome, right? Yeah, and then a few months later, you see them smoking joints together. Yes, like, yes. So, yeah. He's Glover's that uncle, dude. He is that dude. Uh, so that was, you know, t- 
to uh, the you know I, I'm a big Glover fan, so seeing him lose was tough. But like that right there, and it was it was an amazing fight. A and then B having that like ending to it, like I don't know, man, made me feel all the teary goodness, kind of all that stuff, which you don't get a lot of in this sport. Let me tell you. So yeah, well said, well said, Dan. Solid shouts, solid shouts out there. Solid number three, and uh, very much yes, more than welcome to tie. See, I, I want, I was tempted to do a tie for my number five, but I'm like, there's no real tie-in here. You know, you at least had a legit tie-in, so more than welcome to break the rules, sir. Um, that was your number three. I guess it's my number three now. Oh, hello. Okay, we'll see. We'll see if we have this. Uh, this, this is an older one. This is probably. This is probably the oldest one on my list, and we're about six okay. days shy of its 20th anniversary, so I'll probably uh, put some clips out on Twitter, folks, for it, because there was some cool stuff here um, for this one, okay? So that alone should maybe give it away if you did a quick Google search, but yes, that brings us to UFC 46. There were two title fights, uh, but it's really easy to decide, because one of them was just... Uh, it was it was stopped on a cut with Vitor Belford and and uh, it was their rematch, Randy. right? Yeah, Randy. The first fight's a really good fight too, by the way. I mean, as far as like Randy Couture selections, you could throw into this list. That that first Vitor Vitor Belfort fight's really underrated. You had the big underdog and everything, right? And uh, that one has a cut, and it's funny back then. Like, there's different things in the production, and I'm gonna bring it to the fight here in a second. But with the cut, they actually had the uh, doctor, which was a lady, and Rogan interviewed the doctor in the ring on the mic so everybody in the arena to the production could hear why they stopped the fight and explained it, right? And, you, just, you know, speaking of the... Not that that might have changed, you know, Brandon Moreno getting pelted, but fast forward to today, we don't really do that. And I'm like, you know, that was one of those weird things they did back then. Like, why not? Yeah, do that, remember? They would actually, like, show the commission. They would show the judges and, like, talking about accountability, they would show them on camera back then before the fight would start, the main event would start. Like, I actually miss that kind of stuff. And in the beginning, they actually had an odds maker come out. And the guy was from USA Today Sports. And I'm like, Gentlemen, damn, Matt, I, I wish I had my gig Matt back then. Maybe I could have bucked for that job, team. right? And they're talking about odds and who he likes. And uh, one of the biggest favorites, Frank Mir over Wes Sims, the odds maker really likes. I really like that fight. And he goes, I love that finish. Yeah, yep, yeah. And then, 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 then the other favorite he really likes. And it's actually not that big. The way they're treating it, it's like massive, right? And, Dan, maybe you can weigh in on this. I, I could make my educated guess, but I'd rather have somebody else who knows or s someone like yourself make a guess over me. But in this era, I always say big, I always joke and call uh, big widespread odds round of Rousey odds, right? Because it almost was like it, it wasn't until WMMA gets in till we start seeing crazy widespread odds because BJ Penn, long-winded, defeated going up in weight uh, to become the... Second at the time, uh, again, we mentioned Randy Couture and BJ were the, were the first to get dual division championships, not simultaneously, but dual. Uh, BJ was the second to do this at UFC 46 on the same card as Randy, of course, um, who was going to be defending his light heavyweight title uh, and actually lost it due to the cut, which was unfortunate. But like, uh, but yeah, uh, he goes up and it was a big deal because Matt Hughes is on this crazy run. You know, he's beaten... Uh, Carlos, Carlos, names like Carlos Newton, Hayato Sakurai, um, like Sean Shirk on just a few weeks' notice at the time. Forget that Sean Shirk was a welterweight title contender before he was the lightweight champion. Um, you know, he, he, he's essentially uh, hailed as one of the pound for pound strongest fighters and one of the pound for pound best fighters. The way they're talking about it is just like, 
there's you know the, the odds makers like Matt Hughes is a fighting machine you know he's like he's one of the most reliable favorites I like my money on him you know and this is also back when they used to go to Eddie Bravo for not just doing his own uh his own like boxing style uh, well I've got to score it this way Mike you know it, they used to do that like, Eddie Bravo used to kind of uh, do that role uh, Harold Letterman sorry uh you know a scoring kind of cage side and even in fact it was crazy even after Bruce Buffer announces. Uh, announces them. They're already in, in in the cage, ready to fight. And the red corner, da 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 da. You know, and then sometimes there's a couple seconds for like a quick promo or a spot, but then they go right into the fight. Right back then, they even would go to while it's paused and both the fighters are like doing this, and the ref is just holding weight. They're actually cutting the uh, Eddie Bravo before the fight even begins. And he goes, man, BJ Penn, he apparently says he's gotten his body ready, which, by the way, BJ Penn only trained a half hour a day for this fight and ate McDonald's, uh, which was a curse because now you see why, like, you know, what would later kind of curse BJ Penn, right? Later on in his career, that, that preparation. But as bad as BJ Penn was later in his career for you newer fans that may only see his record and go, how is this guy a great, like, you forget, folks, when you go back to BJ Penn in his prime, when he was on, you want to talk about performances? There was a reason why goats like Anderson Silva said, oh, my goat? You guys are saying I'm the goat? Okay, well, here's my goat, BJ Penn. When he is on, he is the best on the planet. And you really couldn't argue when a guy like Anderson Silva in his prime was saying this. Okay, and th- and this was kind of, you know, one of the first first ones. I mean, he was already, you know, the prodigy. He already bursted on the scene and was getting, he was a jiu-jitsu guy, fastest American to get his black belt. But what does he do? He steps on the scene, he starts getting knockouts, right? Even in those early lightweight fights, like he's doing moves that Khabib would later popularize. He's doing the leg wrap, all that fun stuff. Yeah, BJ was doing it almost 20 years prior, folks, uh, back in 2001. This is 2004, though, about 20 years prior to this recording. And, again, it's the big wrestler versus BJ Penn. Matt Hughes probably blown up to, like, 190, 193. They report that he would blow back up to. And you look at him. Even, like, some fighters are like, oh, that guy's small for this age, right? You know? Oh, that guy's clearly juice. There was no USADA for them. Like, there's all these different ranges when you go back and watch these fights. Like, you go back and watch Matt Hughes, and even though 5'9 isn't the biggest for a welterweight of today, he still looks sizable enough, Dan, where he could still be a welterweight of today, Matt Hughes. I mean... Um, you know, say what you will about the guy. You forget how dominant this guy was. I mean, he, he could be on this list as well, maybe, for other things. And I, rem- I remember Eddie Bravo goes, and they used to have, like, a cool cut back in the day of YouTube before they edited it out. But it was, like, Rocky, had, like, the Rocky training montage playing in the background. And it was Eddie Bravo talking. He's like, BJ Penn's moving up to try to do the unthinkable here, folks. Courageous. Uh, he's like, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, he goes uh, there's only really one. He, 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 Eddie Bravo's a fan of it, but he's essentially, he has no choice but to say it's insane, but he can't call it insane, right? So he just goes, this is, I have no other word for it, but courageous. And uh, even Joe Rogan's like, courageous or foolhardy, we're about to find out. And um, like, no, but even like, and even when they're like supposed to be pumping up the fighter when they do the walkouts, like, yeah, BJ's been training with Randy. Like, Goldberg's like, BJ was training with Randy Couture, and apparently Randy couldn't hold him down at Team Quest. He even submitted Randy. Like, these were the legends of BJ Penn back then, right? And Joe, who, if anything, was, you know, a BJ Penn fan as well, maybe not so much back then because. He and Joe Silva thought he was nuts. He's like, Joe Silva, uh, he, BJ would not leave Joe Silva alone. Joe Silva was like, all right, you want it. You got it, buddy. And then Matt, and then Mike Goldberg, who gets a lot of shit, but Mike Goldberg, man, he 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 doesn't get a lot of credit either. He countered a lot of Joe's. He's iconic. Yeah, he is. He countered, a, even when Joe Rogan, you could say he's not as good as Joe was back then in his prime. Even in Joe's prime, 
Joe would make a lot of mistakes. And that's not to shit on Joe. I only say that to highlight Goldie, that Goldie would actually do a, a quiet balancing act in there. So he goes and tries to pump BJ Penn back up. And Joe goes, right before they cut to Matt Hughes, he goes, yeah, that sounds all well and good. Let's see if he can get not, yeah, but he goes, that's all, uh, he's, uh, that's all well and good until you're getting molested against the fence. Like, he did not think BJ was going to win this fight. And uh, what we saw is what we saw. Dan, do you have anything to say? Please weigh in on this one, buddy. You know this fight. Yeah, I mean, listen, BJ Penn, when you talk about pound for pound, you talk about BJ Penn, not just the fact that he was a 55er going up and not just challenging Matt Hughes, but winning the belt off Matt Hughes, being a two-division UFC champion. I mean, Dan, Dan, Dan Tom knows damn well. <laughs> About that time that BJ Penn went up to not light heavyweight, but heavyweight to fight against Lyoto Machida. And it was like a competitive decision type fight. Like when you talked about pound for pound back in the day, you talked about BJ Penn. And in my honorable mentions, I'm going to talk about his reign. Because like when he was that man, his performances at lightweight were like, yo. But hey, shout out to Mike Goldberg. Because one thing about Goldberg, um, he Brought in some legendary catchphrases. It's yeah. all over and yeah, yeah. coming up next. next. Like, yeah. like, like no one else like has like their own like even, phrases like that. Like, even certain fighters' names, like random fighters that you don't think of. Like, uh, I can't think of the name Drew McFedries without saying it just like oh, that. Yeah. Like, I have to say it just like that. <laughs> like, Drew McFedries used to have a punch on him, huh? Dude, Drew McFedries or Martin Campman. Everybody was talking about, like, I know everyone was like bashing middleweight division, how it is to like, they showed like the Jacare Souza, the rankings of 2015 or whatever. I'm like, shit, we can even kick it back to like prelim middleweight matches. I'll take Martin Cantman. I think Martin Cantman versus Drew McFedries fucks with middleweights of today. You know, that fight was sick. You know, I and shit was like buried on prelims in like 07 or 06 and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, man, uh, I I, I could have went with, uh, like you alluded to, that BJ lightweight run. There's a lot in there, right? Even like techniques or this or that, you know, performances, which we, 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 we'll probably, we could talk about maybe later. But yeah, um, I, I ended up settling on this one. This is just one of those, uh, one of those, you know, very similar in spirit to, you know, uh, Connor going up in weight to, uh, he was technically going down coming from the Nate Diaz series, but you know what I mean, going up in weight to capture a second title, you know, that obviously has some weight to it. So that's my number three, sir. Uh, number Beautiful. two for you. Did, is number two the one I sunk, or do you have something fresh for number two? Yeah, no, we talked about this. You okay. you had your McGregor, Alvarez, and I wrote for number two, I wrote McGregor's three title fights, uh, t- title fight wins, um, you know, against yeah. Mendez, against Aldo, and against yeah. Alvarez. Like, that three fight run of title wins like bro he was on top of the world in a way where I, I think we were kind of alluding to this at the beginning of the show how um people literally thought that this guy was a superhero to the point where like do you remember how when connor first came to the ufc he had those two losses against joe duffy and some other random dude they yeah. leg locked him in like under a minute <laughs> yeah. and so so like Dude, like, and those are like embarrassing losses, right? Like, um, Connor was such an incredibly witty and intelligent guy that, like, he got us to buy that that was just, he was like, it was a panic situation. Uh, like, like, you know, like, he basically, like, made it seem like that's not even who I am today. And then down the line, you saw that, like, when he's not the toughest when people get around his neck and stuff like that. He's an incredible, uh, hammer, not the best nail, 
But, bro, those three championship wins were incredible. Like, the fight against Mendez, going into it, I mean, the whole thing was like, oh, he's never fought a wrestler before. And what was crazy about it was, even though that was true, like, let's not act like he didn't fight some high-caliber guys. Like, you know that his second-ever UFC fight was Max Holloway. Was it the same Max Holloway that was a champion that did all these things? No, but was Max Holloway a bum or something? Absolutely not. Max Holloway was still a stud, and Connor like 30-27 them, 30-26 them easily in Boston uh, on his second UFC fight. And then he fights Poirier a couple fights later, knocks him out in the first round. Was it the Poirier that went on to be an interim champ at lightweight? No, but it was still a top five ranked Poirier who's always been a dangerous guy since he made his UFC debut against Josh Grisby. Interestingly enough, you get me on that topic. It was supposed to be Grisby versus Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo pulls out the fight. So then they call up this uh, newcomer, Dustin Poirier, to come fight Josh Grisby, um, you know. And it was on the prelims of UFC 125, the same night that Frankie yeah. Edgar and Gray yep. Mater went to that I was drop. there. I was there live. The same night that Tiago Silva played the drums on Brandon Vera's head. And, like, <laughs> bro, the beatdown that Dustin Poirier put on Josh Grisby, I'll literally never forget it because Josh Grisby, they called him the fluke, right? He was the guy that went 4-0 and in the WEC with four destructive finishes. Like, he finished Mark Hominick. Um, did he finish Eves Jabuen? I don't remember. I know he finished Hominick and he finished like three other guys. So we were like, yo, maybe this is the guy that's going to challenge Jose Aldo, right? And this was before we called him Jose Aldo. This is back when we yes, called him Jose yes. Aldo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, dude, like, Dustin put the kind of beating on. <laughs> On Josh Grisby, where like yeah. I never heard from Grisby ever. Grisby was Nick Grisby never won a fight ever again, and then he starts getting busted for all like bro. Like I think that did some serious damage to him. But I'm getting off topic. Sure. I think that Conor McGregor's three title fight wins were like the definition of that's him. That's the guy. Like I had never felt that that kind of superhero presence since the Anderson Silva days, right? And Dan Tom, I'd love to put. Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin on this list as one of the all-time greatest performances, but you know why I can't do that, right? Yes, it wasn't, it for, wasn't a title. for a belt. Yeah, <laughs> it was Anderson going up to 205 to challenge himself against the former champ, right? So that's one of the best performances ever. If that was for a belt, that'd be my number one. But it wasn't for a belt, so I couldn't put it up there, unfortunately. So for me, it's McGregor's three title fight wins: Mendez, Aldo, and Alvarez. Because back to Mendez, it was the whole talk of. Oh, I, so I got off on the tangent about Poirier. Reason being was because like people were saying, "Well, Conor had never fought a wrestler. He, he'd been gifted all these matchups." Because this is this this was people's big talking point, right? So you remember this this is the exact order of how things happen, and people tend to leave out key details, right? So, um, Conor beats Max. He beats Dustin. He does all these things. He earns himself a title shot. But Jose Aldo got injured, and he wasn't able to take the fight. So it was either an option of Conor McGregor sitting on the sidelines waiting for Jose Aldo to come back or take this little squash match tune-up fight with Dennis Seaver just so <laughs> just so you can stay active, and then you fight the Aldo and the Mendeses and, and, and this and that. So 
people were getting on their high horse talking about how, oh, Conor McGregor beat Dennis Seaver and that's why he got a title shot. It's like, <laughs> no, he had already earned his title shot. He just fought Dennis Seaver to stay active while Jose Aldo was getting healed up. And then he was supposed to fight Aldo. Aldo pulls out again, Dan Tom. So they right. get the the Chad Mendes fight right on short notice. And the question was, well, this guy's ne- this guy's Irish. This guy's never been in there with a wrestler before. The guy got tapped out twice on his regionals. And bro, show me better body shooting in the history of the game. Like those teeps, he really oh, popular yeah. popularized that kind of not not just a regular front kick and not just a regular push kick. But like that that stabbing teeth to the gut yeah. that if you watch a fight between Pedro Munoz and Brett Johns, Pedro Munoz used that expertly. And if you watch a fight between Pedro Munoz and Brian Caraway, he even stopped him with that exact kick. Yeah. So Connor kind of brought that kick to the forefront showing that because there was this big misconception that, oh, you can't kick against wrestlers. They're going to catch that kick. They're going to take you right down. Connor showed that, hey, you can kick against wrestlers. You can bust up their body. Then when they start to get desperate, they start to get tired, then you go upstairs. He also showed a really nice guillotine escape. He was throwing those Carlos Condit elbows from bottom off his back. That was incredible. The Aldo fight. Aldo, like from the WEC to the UFC, was one of the most dominant champions we've ever seen. All our years watching the sport was ahead of the game in terms of his techniques and his athleticism, the way he carried himself. There was nothing bad to say about Aldos to this day, to quote Deontay Wilder, to this day, you know? But, like, bro, to break a guy like Aldo mentally before the fight even starts and make a guy like that, uh, uh, you know, fight uncharacteristic, even in a 13-second fight, wow. And then to t- and, and then to take it that step further against Eddie Alvarez, where it literally looked like, I haven't seen a Matrix-like performance like that since the Anderson Silva days, right? Yeah. So to, to see the distance the range, the footwork, the pull counters, uh, the co- the confidence. I was like, yo, yeah. So so Conor McGregor's three title fight wins take my number two. Yeah, incredible. I mean, the, you know, you say what you will about the guy. The guy was a performer and to, to the nth degree when it came to that stuff. And I like that, too. You forget at 145 how good his kicks were. He had the body tip, teeps. He even had, you know, a bit of the the, the Southpaw dual threats, the body to head uh, against Seaver, yeah. then would corral the other side with the spin kick, use that to corral. And it was cool. Like you said, he kind of captured the imagination. He had the aura. And then even from, like, the technical nerd standpoint, like, he was one of those uh, karate boxer kind of dudes, you know, which was, like, a style that, you know, you didn't really see uh, too much of. And you would see maybe, you know, different style, but, like, you know, like, Horiguchi was kind of a karate boxer, but of a different style. And Connor just kind of obviously was much more of a pressure counter guy, um, and had his had his own unique style. That's that's a great selection. It really is a great. That's so hard to parse those, man. It really is because they're all three different performances, and they're all three amazing performances in their own contexts. Yeah. Um, yeah, solid. I mean, you could argue that could be number one. Obviously, it's in our top five, so obviously we hold it very high. Um. Very deserved. That was number two. All right. Uh, now it's my number two time. All right. You, you said Anderson Silva, so maybe we'll either flow into a number one, but I kind of doubt. I think I've got. I think I think it's a, a between two fighters for both of our number ones. Uh, if if you don't have Anderson Silva, maybe you do. But I went with an Anderson Silva fight for my number two. Couldn't okay. go with Florence Griffin. 
Um, there's there's a few, you know, kind of like BJ or Connors or the GSP. You know, they're, they're, they're these fighters with these catalogs, right? You could justify a few. But this one um, was one I remember. It's probably one of the oldest ones on my list. Not as old as the other one. This one goes back to 2006, uh, of course. This is uh, his first fight with Rich Franklin at yeah. UFC 64. I remember watching this one live. I didn't even know Anderson Silva's name. I was such a cat. I was a tough noob, right? So I was like, oh, this is the guy, uh, the really good striker guy with the bumblebee black and yellow. Like, that's how <laughs> I referred to him. At, like for his first two, maybe even three fights, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe even up to like Nate Marquardt and Travis Luter. I'm like, oh, the bumblebee guy. Like that was my thing. I'm And I, I actually bought the Sinister hoodie back in the day. I remember like uh, before he fought Dan Henderson and stuff like even before then like I bought the it was like I I was just so captivated by this guy right like who is this guy right cuz I was a UFC noob I didn't I didn't I didn't follow his work in Japan right the only people I knew in Japan was like Crow Cop and like the Pride highlights cuz of my my bass player who got me in MMA was a big Crow Cop fan but I really didn't know the Japanese scene I was a tough noob uh, and uh, sure enough um you know this is what I'm in the beginning of my UFC fandom 2006ish right uh, and I remember, you know, I'm already watching the pay-per-views at this point. Um, wouldn't catch the fight nights religiously, but we always watched the pay-per-views already at this point, me and my buddies. And yeah, this was amazing because it wasn't just an amazing performance. And he comes and swoops in and takes the title. Uh, he may have even, uh, the betting lines may have even been swayed his way. So I don't even know if it's some big underdog thing. And it's not even so much that context. But technique-wise, you know, this puts... You know, Dan mentioned the front teeth, right? This puts the Muay Thai plum, as Goldie calls it, double collar tie. Shout out to Ryan Wag MMA. That's right. This one puts this on the map, baby. I mean, it is a brutal beatdown. He arranges, he rearranges Rich Franklin's nose, who on the Brazilian commentary refers to him as Jim Carrey at this point. <laughs> uh, if you ever like watch the, if you have to like watch like rips, there wasn't like MMA core back in these days, folks, or anything. Like, I remember you used to go like random spot, I think MMA linker. I'd go like the MMA linker back in these days, probably to watch fights. And then you would you wouldn't even get like the English comment. You'd have if it was a pay per view, it would be like Brazilian commentary, and you'd see like the Brazilian network in the corner. Like that's that's the way you would watch fights back. And I love doing with Richard Franklin's because they'd be like, "Oser for luta, Jim Carrey." <laughs> like you would just have like the one English word they would say. And yeah, man, uh, Anderson Silva not just takes the title title uh you know again this is another challenger taking the belt you know that that's kind of the major trend in a lot of these picks what we noticed right we called that going into it this is another one and he takes the title uh dan anything to say about this one that i think any battleships here uh feel free to I, go was this the one in cincinnati or was the rematch in cincinnati uh, the rematch was in cincinnati which was just brutal okay. man it was just some i mean to add to the pressure to franklin you know and yeah, Franklin came in with the orange and the black eye for that one. Yeah, right. This one was the more pink and brown. I think was his trunks for this one. No, I mean just the way that he really brought the Muay Thai clinch to the forefront in MMA, and just the confidence, the aura. Um, yeah, it, like you know, Forrest Griffin tested positive for Xanax. Um, like for that fight, you know what I'm saying? Like that's like that's the kind of mind state that. Anderson Silva had his opponents under and and when you think about this Anderson Silva got a title shot of one fight right like yep. he just came in knocked out Chris Levin real quick and all right you're fighting for the belt now like when you make those kind of impressions just to put it in perspective John Jones didn't fight for a title in a second UFC fight Conor McGregor didn't 
Habib didn't. Um, I'm not Same. sure if BJ if BJ Penn did or not. I I don't think he did either because no, he was fighting no. like the the Kyle Unos and the Dean Thomases and all them. So yeah. like, bro, like I think that Anderson, <laughs> but besides like Ronda, because like her first fight since she was like already queen of the division back in Strike Force and they just absorbed it. Okay, and like Aldo and the WEC guys. Okay, they just absorbed the division, so that doesn't really count in terms of like I'm talking about. They didn't absorb a division. They just signed you, and you win your first fight. Okay, here's a title shot. That's how dominant he was. And then he goes on to set the record for the most title defenses in UFC history, man. Um, just one of the all-time greats, the aura, the the, the techniques. Um, like, I literally felt like I was watching a superhero. Like, And I was in attendance when he lost to Weidman. And like when I tell you the whole place went silent, bro, it was like nothing we had ever seen before. Cause like yeah. I thought that this I thought this guy could beat Godzilla the whole yeah. like, whoever. So yeah, man. I mean, if Anderson's gotta be on your list in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. This this was this just felt like, you know, I, I had to have him on there. And it's crazy because like a lot of his best fights were uh not title fights, you know, uh, in the sense of like as far as like, you know, impressive as far as impressive performances in this theme goes right like the james Irvin fight was an impressive performance because he just washed him out the chris lieben fight i mean I, i'm sure it probably came up when, when i did my top five ufc debuts i think that was an episode and if whether it was or not like again he what was the stat maybe it's like disproven now or whatever but like they, they would float out there like he had 100 percent accuracy he was pretty damn close to if not like maybe there's like one or two shots that miss but that's how I'm, I'm going to look that up right now. I'm glad you. No, I mean, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, well, well, that's how Rogan and everybody would say it. That's that's 100 percent fact. But uh, as far as what the stats are, when you go back to watch the tape, not you know, not quite 100 percent, but it's close so, enough. It's close enough. 17 right. out of 20, so 85 percent. Right. Yeah, that's pretty damn close. I mean, you look at just the accuracy and as far as that, like, perfect performance, right? It's like, holy damn. And that is interesting. I never really thought about that, right? Everybody comes at Connor for his uh, rise or whatever. Like, man, Anderson only had to do it once. And I know Brock had the star power uh, more than Connor, uh, at least to start, and then more than Anderson, obviously. Uh, but you could kind of say the same for Brock. It was two fights, but he only had to win one to get the title shot, right? He comes and he loses to Mir. Then he comes back and he beats Heath Herring, right? And then he's beating Randy all of a sudden four pay-per-views later at 90 – or three pay-per-views later at 91, UFC 91, right? Yep, it was like, yep, yeah, yep, so yep. it was like, yeah, 81, 88, and then 91. Yeah, so it was like, you know, and obviously Brock has the star power, so you can maybe – and it's heavyweight, so maybe you can understand that. But that's that's pretty damn impressive. Anderson only with one fight, yeah. All right, Dan, unless you got anything else to say on that, it's drum roll time. Number one, baby. Okay, so I'm breaking the rules again. Just like for my number three, what I did Jones and Shogun and Jamal okay. versus Glover, which I consider to be the two greatest light heavyweight performances in the history of the sport, my number one mm-hmm. um, goes to two of the greatest middleweight champions oh, wow. in wow. UFC history. And the reason why is there's a very similar theme in both of these fights. And th- this is a situation where the champion had to go through a lot. And in that fifth round, that was the defining, determining round of not just that fight, but even uh, career trajectories. Like, so the two fights are uh, Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum, and and Anderson Silver versus Chael Sonnen. Um, and they're they're different in the sense that Chael beat 
Chael beat the shit out of Anderson for four and a half rounds, right? Whereas Adesanya and Gastelum was two to two going into the fifth. But where they're similar is that both Anderson and Israel had to make a decision in that fifth round. Like, are, are you going to come out here and make history and not just be champion, but overcome adversity, overcome your toughest fight and show that championship medal? Because, like, you look at Adesanya and Gastelum. Firstly, shout out to that fight. I was there in person. It was in Atlanta. Incredible fight. And you want to know something crazy, just on a side note, that was the co-main event to Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway, too. So I saw crazy. two of the best wow. fights of all time just back-to-back. It was crazy. That's but, a great card to have made. Wow. Dude, when I tell you, it was, so it was two to two going into that fifth round with, with Gaslam Adesanya, like, man, anybody's fight. Like, this could literally go any way. And, like... Dude, Adesanya turned up in a way in round five. He got like three knockdowns. It was a 10-8 round. It could have been stopped. Goddard didn't want to stop it for whatever reason. Um, but, man, <laughs> that fight defined a legacy because, it, again, no one would have held it against Izzy if, hey, man, listen, you were undefeated in the UFC and just in general up until that point, and this was your toughest test. Kelvin's been paying his dues in the UFC for how long now? Like, yeah. it was just... Kelvin's time, hey, man, get back on the horse again. No doubt in my mind, Izzy would have came back to be a champion. But for him, who is known for being this pretty fighter, doesn't like taking a lot of damage, and you see his lips are like, it's like he just got like a, you seen the pictures of like women when they just get the lip injections? Not like a couple yeah. days after when yeah. it settles in. I'm talking about yes. when they just get it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's, what his, that's what his lips looked like. His eyes were <laughs> like shut. Yeah. It was like decision making time. Like, are you that guy or not? And boy, did he show you as that guy. And with Anderson, it was like, Anderson, like you're in the midst of one of the most historic title reigns in the history of the sport. This guy, Chael, is not just beating your ass, he's beating your ass after he talk shit about your country your wife your family your your techniques your pink sweater like this and like everything right and dude and and it wasn't just about chael wrestling like dude chael rocked him on the feet chael stumbled him like chael beat the shit out of him for anderson to have the wherewithal to pull off that triangle with in the waning minutes of the fifth and final round after a beatdown like that and then you see like him with his kids at the time and he just puts his belt up in the air like this and they're all like hugging him and crying like that was a championship yeah. performance my boy like like it's easy yeah. to just put a, a dominant one-sided performance as your number one but for these it, it's just like they show the heart of a champion in a way that went on to define their legacies and for that reason dan tom it's a tie between adesanya Versus Gastelum and Anderson versus Chael. I love it, man. Again, like when you started the list, I'm really glad you had comeback performances in there because they're honestly my favorite types of performances, which is why they're on so many of my lists. And I probably would have had these on my lists or at least right up up there uh, as well, if not for the fact that I recently did like a top five middleweight uh, matches. And of course, these those two fights were, you bet your ass they were on my top five, right? Uh, speaking to our similarities. So... Um, I, I want to spread it out and allow someone like yourself to give love to these uh, more of the comeback side of this list. And, that's, and we didn't plan this, by the way, folks. As we do with all these lists, we don't uh, tell each other our list. This is all organic, what you're seeing. So that's that makes it extra awesome that it worked out that way. And it was a double fake because I could have swore it was going to be 
you know, bantamweights. We were down to bantamweights, which might be, you know, giving away uh, where I'm headed with my number one. And I'm really tempted to do what you did. And I think I'd be just to do so. However, even though they're both amazing performances, one just honestly hits me personally more than the other one does. Uh, Hence, it's my list. Like, your list is your list, right? And two, um, which happens to be the same pick that hits me more, it's also, uh, of the two fights, if you were to say which one kind of changed the landscape, one of them, it was amazing as it was, it didn't really change the landscape, really at all, now that you think about it, I mean, uh, but the other one did, stylistically, terms, things we use, Um, and of course I'm talking about, uh, you know, one of those fights, which will be definitely like on honorable mentions top 10 because it was an amazing performance and now that I can burn it. One of the fights I'm hinting to, of course, was Cody Garbrandt over Dominic Cruz at UFC 207. I mean, that's just an amazing performance. Can I guess? Can I guess what your number one is? Let's do it. Is it Dillashaw versus Burrell? Yep. The first one. The very first fight. Yep. Dillashaw versus Burrell won. Because, so, sorry, sorry to cut go, you off. Because go. you prefaced it so beautifully. Cody versus Cruz, incredible performance, but you're right. It didn't shape landscapes. It didn't change the sport. It was kind of like almost like a one-hit wonder. I know he's had some good knockouts since then, but it was like a, wow, that was a really beautiful one-off, uh, like a, a one-off type thing. Yeah. Whereas when Dillashaw beat, you're going to talk about it. I, was, I don't want to steal your No, 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 no. Go, Dillashaw go, please. beat Burrell, like he took like the elements of Dominic Cruz's style, which was like a pioneering style of Bantamweight, and then he cre- and then he turned it into his own. And now you see guys like Corey Sanhig and all these upcoming guys using yeah. elements of that. And it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, I'm, I'm I myself right now, you know, um, uh, all of my Muay Thai coach doesn't come from that uh, specific lineage. I take the kickboxing classes at Extreme Couture, and we're a we're a Bang Muay Thai affiliate. And, you know, Dan Dwayne Ludwig already had the fastest KO record and had his fight career. And as good as it was, it wasn't good enough to get him that type of popularity. You could argue this performance um, just does, does as much for Dwayne Bang Ludwig in his career as it does for TJ Dillashaw's, right? And even right. though Dominic Cruz isn't involved, he is the one that actually carries the legacy over. Whereas Cruz versus Garbrandt, ultimately, instead of a passing of the torch, it was more just an end of Dominic... It, it more just marked the end of Dominic Cruz's career um, than anything, than, than than Cody Garbrandt's, right? Whereas Cody Garbrandt hit this weird kind of, you know, on a timestamp our episode, he is picking himself back up. He's getting meaningful fights at Bantamweight again, but he's had a he's had a tough run, and we'll see where he ends up going, but it wasn't where we projected at the very least, right, when he came off that performance. Whereas, right. to your point... Ironically, the guy carrying on the legacy, even though it was different styles, right? Uh, I definitely don't want to to say that. And even the commentary is good about saying they are slightly different styles, folks, you know. But, yeah, he does his own evolution. I hate the term neo-footwork, but that popularized. Um, It really also kind of really forced us to look at striking. That's where the sport kind of takes a step up, right? Both just not in the techniques you're seeing inside of the ring, but even the people outside. We mentioned coaches. What about analysts? Like, I don't know about you guys, but this is where I stumble onto guys like Jack Slack. Jack Slack becomes real popular because he writes he writes that uh, post-fight breakdown. Jack Slack's already been working in the space at this point, but I feel like he hits you know the radars of myself and many others. I don't want to say mainstream, although you got guys like Rogan plugging him on the Rogan podcast, which is mainstream pretty much at that point. You know, it's it's a it's at its you know peak, skyrocketing up, and he's he keeps referencing that. 
And, like, it's just this whole, the whole space kind of evolves, you know? Uh, coaching and just even guys that don't make a style. What do you see guys start doing from this point on? Everybody starts switching the southpaw. Now, granted, and you still get some of this where maybe they only switch and they throw, like, a body kick or a, a strong head kick, and then they're back to their orthodox stance. But before this, guys weren't encouraged to fight southpaw. There were not a lot of southpaws, much less stance switchers. And now you see everybody after this doing their poor man versions, right? Uh, there's so many poor man versions after this. And it was just, you know, I don't even think it was a cancellation or whatever. I think it was more of those things like, you know, Faber had his shot. And he even had the rematch. That was weird, that UFC 40, uh, 149 or whatever. Row, row, get him now, Hen and Burrell. And yeah, yeah. say what you will about Hen and Burrell and the hyperbole that Dana White put on him. The fact was the guy had a crazy unbeaten streak. He was a bantamweight, which is a weight class that I and you should respect, right? Uh, so regardless of where he you ranked him at the pound-for-pound pound list, the guy was a deserved top pound-for-pound pound fighter, right? You, you, really, you, know, you, you really can make that argument as much as you want to criticize... Uh, the hype Dana White was putting on him because Dana was really trying to sell Brown. Credit to Dana. This is when he was actually still trying to sell his fighters, right? <laughs> like he, was, he was trying to push these guys. And TJ Dillashaw comes up and you think they'd be marketing him, but, you know, it was almost like a joke that he wasn't ready for it so much so that, you know, they're trying to pr pr promote the fight. But again, Rogan, like I mentioned with the Penn and Hughes fight, he's a little more tactful at this point of his career, but even he slips to the point where TJ Dillashaw... He's already, before the knockdown, he's actually looking impressive to the point where Rogan's like, this is like the best TJ Dillashaw we've ever seen, right? And then about a, a minute or, or 30 or so left, 133 left or so, I think, we get the knockdown that kind of starts that downhill tumble to the eventual late round stoppage, right? But uh, I remember after that round, Burrell survives the round, you forget Dillashaw, who is an underrated back taker. Like, that was how his game started. Like, he almost takes the back and finishes right there because that was that was actually Dillashaw's game. It wasn't striking, which, which you forget. That's why this 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 was so impressive. And after that first round, you hear Joe Rogan say on commentary, oh, so is TJ Dillashaw ready for a title shot? Like, almost acknowledging what they couldn't acknowledge before, the fact that, that, that there was just so much criticism that, like, what are we doing rushing this guy? Like, he had a, you know, he had one good performance against, uh, what was that, the Hulk, uh, the East Coast dude, Mike uh, Easton. Mike Easton, that's right, yeah, and because that's where that, you actually, that was in Atlanta, I saw that. Yeah, not, yeah, and that's actually kind of where you first start seeing this this Dwayne style actually come up. It it actually wasn't the Burrell fight. You actually first see the peaks in that Mike Easton fight, but even then, it wasn't enough to give everybody make anybody think it was a chance, right? This is one of the biggest underdog caches, right? He closes as a plus 650 at the close. It was wider before that, right, Dan? We know how these things work. Um, and I remember watching it, and no one notable or anything like that major, but it was like a, a local MMA judge at the time who would come and watch fights with us at my buddy's house. And he was just telling us, he's like, you know, because he got it at like plus 770 or something, right, Dan? And he was like, yeah, I threw a ticket, and I didn't really like bet too much at that time. I was like, "You did what?" He's like, "Yeah, I figured why not throw a hundred at odds like this? It's MMA." And then we start talking about it more. We're like, you know, TJ was showing an unorthodox style. He does kind of have a bit of movement, you know, plus the wrestling to dictate. And we almost like are making the case like it's a breakdown show while the while the walkouts are going down, right? While we're watching live, and sure enough, he comes out and he just has that round. I look over at my buddy and we go, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you nailed it, man. You nailed it. That's a good ticket to have in your pocket. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, say what you will about, you know, uh, 
drug testing or speculation to be that's the you could say that about any fighter at any era in this sport let's be honest and i'm not doing that to defend tj dillashaw or what he was let me say for. this let me say this Go ahead. okay was he a cheater yes did steroids teach him those unbelievable techniques no no yeah 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 steroids did not steroids have been around uh, they, they, you know it's a performance though that that can kind of revolutionize things and tj dillashaw put on that performance I know number one seems heavy, but man, this is one of those ones where I remember where I was at, how much it hit. You know, you have that tip, you have that, you know, a wholesome, if you will, moment of Dwayne Bag Ludwig and TJ Dillashaw, like the karate student, the teacher, they do, they're like, and they bow to each other at the end. Like it was just like, it was like a 90s sidekicks movie or something. Like, what am I watching? Um, And it was, it was crazy, man. And yeah, where the careers, where the sports, where the camps went, where the careers went. I mean, it's like your own, like, uh, it's like your own, uh, you know, uh, teen ending movie where they freeze frame on everybody and tell you where they went. Like Dwayne Bang Ludwig uh, closed down his peanut butter thing, but went on to sell Dwayne Bang Muay Thai. You know, TJ Dillashaw left Team Alpha Male and didn't become friends with them. Later went on to rival. You know, it was like all these like different, like crazy storylines that happened out of that too. Not that that matters, but yeah, it's it's got it going down in the annals. That's my number one. Nice. Yeah, I love it, man. I mean, that was a legendary performance. He was like a plus 800 dog, and he went out there, and I don't think people uh, remember that Hannon Brown was like, what, 31 and 1 yeah. or some shit? Like, insane. he was on an insane run, and like, I mean, it was like a foregone conclusion that he was going to smoke TJ, and. And not only did TJ beat him, not only did TJ put on like a record-breaking performance, not only did TJ innovate a new style that a lot of emerging fighters like Corey Sanhagen, et cetera, et cetera, are starting, are starting to use. But to take it a step further, and this is the unfortunate part, Hannon Barrow was never the same ever. Yeah. Ever. No. Like, he, like Hannon was like losing the guys like Andre Uhl and Luke Sanders, which like those dudes wouldn't have even fucking held a candle to his name like a couple yeah. years prior. So it's crazy how the fight game works, man. Absolutely is, man. Um, I want to queue up some honorable mentions now that we got our top five out. Uh, Dan, if you want to, you know, get some ready, whether they're yours or ones from your posts, um, I just want to yeah. give the listeners the first uh, first dibs. So I'm just gonna do some of those uh, if you don't mind. But yeah, if you want to quietly, you know gather whether they're your own personal honorable mentions or stuff that you came across with your post which got a lot of oh, good good feedback my by list the way. is ready to go my friend okay let me let's just give first dibs real quick to the people who uh the, the the listeners at the pym podcast of course if you want to give official i know i did see some of you people um tagging me and dan's thread to make sure yours gets counted i'm going to try to get as many years as possible as well and then dan also has got your back uh but uh tb scouting of course the chronic combat conversations podcast he goes. I, he's just saying that he was the biggest line movement MMA fan out there. What a reunion! Hopefully, you're enjoying this show, my my friends. Me and Dan <laughs> were talking like, dude, it's been way too long, like uh, that we did a show for a gambling uh, company or, or uh, either of our own podcasts, which we've done each other's before. So I'm like, let, let let's get together. So I'll, thank you for that, TB. Um, the Proving Ground MMA says Anderson versus Chael. Uh, Chael Sonnen in one question mark. And of course, that was a great shout. That was uh, on my guy Dan Levy's list here. Um, boom. We also got, uh, let me see here. Sorry. I got this one. Uh, bookmark. Um, I bookmarked a few to make them easier, actually. That's where I should go to it. Actually, now that you mention it. Um, do, 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 do. Shoot, where did that list go? Somebody bookmarked me on a list. 
Well, while you look for it, let me let me. Oh, mention I got, I got it, I got it right here. Oh, you he got it. Okay. it to your list. It was Dar at Dar Valdez, and he he, he uh, tagged me on this one, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to scoop it from you, and then I'm going to do one of your quote tweets because it's my guy, a combat uh, CR. Then I'll kick it over to you. So Dar right. has a uh, TJ uh, versus Burrell. Great, great. Uh, Cody versus Cruz. Yep, absolutely. Those are right up there. Randy versus Sylvia. I appreciate that shout. Coming out of retirement, you say what you want, Tim Sylvia. Like, no one was giving Randy a chance for that one. That's a. Yeah, the, the size difference was absurd. And when he landed that uh, that right hand in that first round, yeah. like, Off I heard people kick. in the arena like could hear it echo. So, yeah, that was a big moment. That was a good heavyweight shout. Another heavyweight shout that I thought of but didn't make my top five, obviously. Uh, he has Kane versus Brock, Dardes. Um, that's a solid one. That was a really good day. I came back from Disneyland um, <laughs> with, a, with a girlfriend at the time. Uh, and then I remember I'm like, oh, sweet, we got the UFC fights tonight. And it was like that Anaheim car that was happening right next door. It was like just like a crazy day of just events and uh, ended on a, a, on, a, on a good I remember watching that on my laptop. Uh, back when I had to purchase it through Yahoo Sports, like pre-fight pass days. Um, and then lastly, he has Connor versus Eddie, uh, which is uh, which is great there. And, um, I man, I, I don't know why it's not coming up. I apologize. If, if it pops up, I'll try to hit you guys, the James Kendricks and you OGs, uh, you know, uh, the ghost phantoms of the world and whatnot. Uh, I'm not seeing some of them here, but I did want to hit my guy, uh, of course, uh, I did a chronic combat conversations. Of course, there's combat chronicles at combat CR. My guy, uh, Kyle Mack, of course, a historian, uh, of it. He, uh, quote tweeted my guy, Dan Levy's tweet here. And, uh, he's number one, Volkanovsky Holloway three, which is on my honorable mentions. Uh, one of the many, uh, amazing jab performances circling with the jab. Um, Volkanovsky just, Ooh, that was that, that that's one that I, I'm, I'm, tempted on whether or not to get on the top 10 part either way it'll definitely be an honorable mention so i would like some volk on there and that's definitely uh, one for his uh kyle also has mcgregor aldo again uh, it's only 13 seconds but we're talking about the definition of you know greatest championship performances i mean how how, how do you not much get much greater than that you know knocking off one of the greatest arguably the greatest goats in uh in, in that kind of a fashion is insane um Number three, he has Weidman Silva one, as you shouted out. You made good shouts on that while we were talking about your list, Dan. Um, I know it's tough. These are tough to see, you know. Uh, seeing these Please guys don't make down. me cry. It I is. was there. I mean, I know Holloway, Holloway beating Aldo beating Silva beating. Oh, this is brutal. You're you're tugging at our heartstrings with this list, Kyle. Um, it was a jo- core memory I choose to forget. Yep. These ones are a little more, I guess, happier or funnier at the very least. Jordan, Jones Cormier, but he has number one, which I respect. Um, That's a very good one. That's a very good one. I mean, again, say what you will about drugs. You could argue the fact that he was on drugs and tested positive for cocaine and then went out and out-wrestled D.C., it's pretty insane, drugs, folks. It's pretty insane. That's an, impo- that, that's an impressive performance, I'm saying. I'm not hating on the guy, believe it or not. I'm actually saying that's, Bro, that fucking that's impressive. performance Jesus. was nasty. So very good shot for, on that one. I love that first John Jones fight with, with DC. And and I'm not saying this to make fun of him because you could just tell how passionate he was and it, it arguably made the performance that much better. But he's like, when he almost sound, and it's funny because he's such a badass and he just does like the most alpha shit taking DC down, right? Wins it, but he's he almost sounds like a little kid, like because he's so emotional. He's like, bro, you, bro, your 
bought your break bone shirt. Take it back. And he was like really angry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so DC had a shirt called break bones. Yeah. And then, and then when John Jones won, he wore a shirt that said unbroken. I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and he had, and he had the, came out with the, uh, Reebok sponsorship before Reebok took over to kind of like, was like a hint yeah. of like things to come. Like, you know, we might not have thought anything of it back then. I was like, Oh crap. Um, Penn Hughes won, of course, making me feel less crazy for my homer pick there. I usually no, ban BJ Penn from my lists, but I'm, I'm glad uh, Kyle Mack has it. He says I could keep going, of course, but I could also replace any of those. I'm content with that top five as of now. Dan, what do you have uh, registered for your uh, honorable mentions that you uh, pulled up from your your suggestions you got? Uh, tons of people uh, replied to me, so like I'm really sorry that I, I'm not getting to all of them. It's it's almost past my bedtime, so I'm gonna yes, scan yes. through. I'm a uh, uh, you know rush through these no last worries. few. Uh, lucrative MMA betting. James Blissett. He messaged. He said Volk versus Korean Zombie, which I agree. I was Ooh. in attendance for that. That was a hell of a performance. He said Habib versus Gaethje, which I also agree. yes, that was just that's a really, pure domination. Yes, that's a great one. Um, GSB Bisbing to come back off an insane layoff and then be and then win a belt up up a weight class. Hey, yeah. you're the man. Usman Woodley, that was just a pillar to post ass whooping. And we were all yeah. very happy to see it because yeah. uh, Woodley was like breaking records for like lowest amounts of like strikes <laughs> and added in title yeah. fights. So when yeah. Usman put it on him, it was very satisfying. You already, we already mentioned Dillashaw Brow, all time classic. And then he said DJ versus Borg. I mean, I agree with that. Nice DJ shout. Yeah. Dominated him pillar to post and then topped it off with one uh, with a once in a lifetime finish. Uh, in the last round, you know, with not that much time remaining. So for me, my honorable mentions are this, the B, the BJ Penn era at lightweight. Obviously, you guys yeah. mentioned the wel- the welterweight stuff, which is incredible too. Um, but uh, man, his four title winning performances at lightweight against Stevenson, Shirk, Florian, and Sanchez when he was locked in with the Marinovich brothers. Y'all should look up that era. <sighs> Because, like, Jeez. the thing with BJ was he was such a talented fighter that this dude, like, remember when he would always talk about, oh, these guys are on steroids, I'm on beer and hot dogs. <laughs> and, okay, he might not actually eat beer and hot dogs, but what he means is, like, bro, like, I'm smoking weed, doing whatever the fuck I want, and, and whooping these dudes' asses, right? Like, um, and uh, then, because there was oh, this whole thing about motivated BJ, unmotivated BJ, which one's going to show up, all that shit. Because, like, bro, I don't know if you remember the countdown of UFC 94 when uh, BJ fought uh, GSP the second time. Not the first time. Because the first time a lot of people actually thought BJ Penn beat GSP, Dan Tom. You remember that? Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. the second time at UFC 94 was a pillar to post ass whooping. Yeah. And actually on the countdown, like, dude, the kind of shit that was on that countdown compared to some of the countdowns now – was like if they oh, put yeah. the shit on the countdown now that was on then like people would get canceled because I don't know if you remember but like Dana White is on the fucking countdown calling BJ Penn's brother uh, JD or whatever like being like hey is he training or right, I'm coming down to Hawaii to make sure this guy's training that's how much of a wild man yeah. BJ Penn was at the time like he's a two division champion but the guy only trains when he feels like it and to have like imagine if Dana White got on a countdown like let's say for Vulcan Taporia which is a big fight coming up and he's like I'm gonna fly to New Zealand to see if Volk is taking this seriously like yeah, that would never happen in a million yeah. years but BJ a guy who will go up to heavyweight fight Machida fucking take Matt Hughes's belt at 70 have this incredible run at 55s and the guy is apparently half assing it speaks volume i mean you talked about how 
he was the quickest American to win a black belt. Well, within four years, he got his black yeah. belt. And, yeah, yeah. So like the guy's an unheard of talent. That's why they call him uh, the prodigy. So the reason I'm bringing up these four lightweight performances is because for these, he like actually took it seriously. He actually got in shape. He got with these guys, the Marinovich brothers, who correct me if I'm wrong, they were like training NFL guys, and then yep. they wanted the you know uh, BJ hit him up, and like BJ apparently was talking about how. These workouts were so hard that he couldn't even hold his baby in his arms. Like, that's how tired he was. But, bro, when he performed against Joe Stevenson, Sean Shirk, Florian, Sanchez, the fucking flying knee uh, against Shirk, runs him across the, the cage, fucking Vitor versus Vanderlei style, hits him with that uppercut and that knee. Goddamn. The Florian fight. Like, I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. the kind of shit Florian was talking before that. We actually went over this when we did our. Yeah. Uh, top five greatest five from, promos y'all yeah, should check that out because y'all yeah. know i'm huge into the shit talking and uh kenny florian was like i want bj's belt and then he was <laughs> like uh he's like bj's the master it's time to kill the master like and oh yeah then, i remember and, that yeah, and then yeah. bj was like did he really say that shit and uh so those and then the way he beat down diego sanchez that that might sound like a joke now but at the time guys diego yeah. sanchez was 20 and 2 Yes. 20 wins, two losses. That, that's how elite Diego Sanchez, he was ahead of his time. And Diego Sanchez was at welterweight. He beat guys like Nick Diaz. He beat guys like Carl Parisian. Oh, so yeah. when he dropped the 55, we were like, yo, Diego Nightmare Sanchez is about to fucking be a problem. And the beatdown BJ put on him was one where I will never forget. So, so BJ's reign, okay, GSP's reign, especially the Condit fight and the second pen fight the condit fight for the sole fact that it was literally dominance in every facet of mma striking wrestling jiu-jitsu etc etc but that third round when condit head kicks gsp yeah. and gsp is down he's taking some ground and pound it looks like oh my god gsp is about to get knocked out holy fucking shit and then a couple seconds later gsp is on top of condit like raining some some ground and pound from the heavens habib style like that's up there his fight with penn the second time because the first time like i like i mentioned a lot of people thought that penn won the first yeah. time yeah. and they fought the second time and to make a guy like bj penn quit between rounds like one does not simply make bj penn quit between rounds because when you watch bj penn some of the fights that he lost were like uncomfortable to watch because the guy's so damn tough that he just keeps eating headshot. Like remember when Matt Hughes had him in the uh, crucifix and was just landing yeah. headshot after headshot yep, after yeah. headshot. And BJ is not like covering up. BJ is not like tapping to the mat. BJ is not like ref. Like all right, ref, I'm ready for you to step in. BJ was willing to go to the death. So the fact that GSP made this guy not answer the bell between rounds. That's got to be one of the most dominant UFC fight uh, championship performances I've ever seen. Obviously, I mentioned for my number four was Joanna Janjacek versus Carla Esparza. On that same card, the main event was Rafael Dos Anjos versus Anthony Pettis. And at the time, Pettis was on the Wheaties box. He was submitting guys. Yep. He was knocking yep. guys out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dana White even called Anthony Pettis the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet. Look it yep. up. True story. And... RDA put a whooping on him as like a plus 600 dog. It was when you talk about pressure performances and really showing yep. off what a southpaw can do against orthodox, firing that disgusting liver kick from the southpaw side, that overhand left, and then he can mix in all the other areas of MMA as well. That was there. 
Usman and Woodley. Hold on, I let mean, me let me let me jump in on RDA and please, uh, please, Anthony please. Pettis. That was that was the one I was talking about for the best pressuring performance of a, of a title fight. I mean, it's just five rounds of pure pressure. There's good grappling pressure in there too. You forget how good RDA is on the ground against a guy like even like Pettis. It was just another level. The wrestling, everything. Uh, you want to talk about strength and conditioning performances like the BJ Penn one? He trained with Nick Kurson, and I don't know if Nick Kurson like trained under the Marinoviches, but he had like a similar thing yeah. where it was like yep. agility, which is kind of kind of a cool kind of crazy lineage of that. And you saw it. I mean, not just the Rafael Cordero. Uh, the the directionality and the striking, the pressure stri- southpaw striking. We've seen him give that to Benil, Kelvin. You know, that's where that came from, right? But as far as just, if you look at the speed that he was hitting him with, it was like blinding speed. It was so impressive. You know, he breaks Anthony Pettis' orbital with the first left hand, a blinding left hand. And that was from the strength and conditioning, man. That was, you know, all these things coming together. Um, I remember just like picking... Pettis reluctantly because I, I I knew obviously Dosando the you know Dosanjos from ever since he uh, kicked Rob Emerson's legs apart you know what I'm saying so I knew Dosanjos wasn't respected him but I was like well it's gonna be a tough match and I remember something about the weigh in I don't often get the get those feelings you know but like something about the weigh in just seeing him and seeing the Dude, shape he got RDA right was in. His in. Face. He got and, right yeah. in his face, Dan, Tom. And he looked like a tank, too. RDA just like it was the most chiseled you've ever seen RDA right he looked like a tank and I was just like. Holy shit. And he fought like it. Like, he fought how he looked for five rounds. That was my number five, like, holding the spot until I just nudged Holloway Ortega over it. But it's it's going to be in my top ten list. I mean, it's a it's a great performance. And and, and before you catch up on the rest of yours, just to, just on the, the last two, uh, BJGSP. So they have a bunch of different ones. And you could have argued um, GSP Pen 2, even though it's such a painful one for me, right, as a fan. Uh, the the two impressive GSP performances though I would say is one is Koscheck, um because yeah. you, you could have said Wait, top, which one the uh, one where he closed his eye the second time the second time yeah because it's a, that, yeah not only is that a top five jabbing performance uh, as I as I've as it's been in my my article um, same with the reason why I didn't have BJ Penn versus Sean Shirk because that's to me that's one of his best title performances but it's such a jabbing performance that actually came before the Koscheck one right. Um, that's why guys like Freddie Roach were giving him that, like, you know, BJ Penn, uh, Freddie Roach says BJ Penn is the best boxer in MMA. And then, and then as soon as he says that he drops Diego Sanchez while they're saying it on commentary, it was like perfect timing, right? Like, um, but yeah, that, that, that caution one also, it was a really, for an era that like GSP gets shit on from uh, as far as like, maybe not shit on is, is too strong, but like saying that he wasn't aggressive. Dude, go back, watch that second Koshik fight. He puts it on him. Even in round five, when he's clearly ahead, he is beating his ass. Like he's a getting aggressive out there in the striking by the way um and then another gsp reference that's a fight that's underrated and again i think pen two that's just a you know that's such an important fight the countdown all that stuff you referenced dan was just great job on that but an underrated fight ufc 79 is third fight with it was kind of impromptu it was supposed to be matt sarah but it's the third fight with matt hughes and um gsp was like wrestling with the this is when his wrestling takes a step up it's around this time right um he already kind of showed it off in that first Koscheck fight, but at this point, he's training with the Canadian national wrestling team. They're making a big deal about that. And this fight and his fight with Condit is like the most jacked you see GSP outside of his obvious 185 fight, right? Because GSP, for people that don't remember, like he used to almost like manipulate his body almost, like how he was fighting. Like he was different, like there was different structures. He was never out of shape, but like 
if you want to see him at his most jacked and thickest at welterweight, go watch the Conor fight and go watch this UFC 79 fight. He is thicker than a snicker, and he goes on like a takedown. It's just only two rounds with the Matt Hughes, but he does all. He does like a judo throw takedown. He does a knee tap takedown. He does like a double well timed. He does like all these different takedowns and just uh, out grapples him, and then just hits the same exact uh, submission ninja armbar submission that Hughes finished him with. Just is like sweet revenge, like. That's a really underrated GSP one. And then, uh, yeah, you already nailed, uh, you know, BJ Penn, Diego Sanchez. The reason why I didn't choose that, which is another uh, one you could, because that's obviously, that's one of the most, you know, top five beatdowns of all time. Everybody does the Rory <laughs> UFC 189, like round one, round two, round three, round four. Dude, if you, the only one that can hold a candle to Rory's is Diego Sanchez in that fight. Round one, round two, round three, round four, round five. But I don't know if you remember this, Dan, with social media, wasn't as big. But there was a post-fight photo, too, of Diego that looked even disgustingly. He looked like an alien. Like, it was the oh next God. day one. Oh, my God. Like, it, people that don't remember, like, they probably wouldn't make their top five beatdown list, but it arguably should be in number one or number three slot between there as far as, like, beatdowns go in MMA. That was a beatdown. I just had to add that in. Yeah, no, that picture combined with Uriah Faber's leg after the Aldo fight yes. are like oh. top, like in the top five, like post fight picks. When you thought it was yeah, over, like, it ain't over. So. Like John Jones and Gustafsson the first time in the hospital together. That's yeah, a good one, too. That's a good one. So, okay, we mentioned RDA Pettis. We mentioned Usman Woodley, Garbrandt Cruz. Okay. Oh, another one, I think, is more more recent, but um, your teammate Sean Strickland against Adesanya. Yes, yes I have Going down all too. the fucking way to Australia to yes. do it, no less. Um, that was impressive. Nunes versus Cyborg showing, nah, this is this is my house. I, I love oh, everything about that. Habib versus Gaethje we mentioned. That's a good one, yeah. But what about Islam versus Charles? Like, one thing I loved about this matchup with Islam and mm. Charles, firstly, let's talk about how Islam didn't get touched and basically did whatever he wanted, beat him yeah. in every aspect of MMA. But the big thing was you rem- you know how like a big talking point with Charles Oliveira's fights is that he gets dropped in a lot of his fights, right? Yeah. Uh, Poirier dropped him, Gaethje dropped him, all, uh, all these guys dropped him. I think even like David Taymor dropped him, right? But w- what's, what do all those guys have in common, Dan, Tom? Uh, besides that they hit hard and all that, what they have in common in relation to Charles Oliveira is that when they hit Charles Oliveira, they're not going to go follow up inside Charles Oliveira's guard. They're going to be like, nah, dog, get back up, and we're going to keep the standing, right? That gives Oliveira that time to recover, whereas you look at a guy like Islam Makhachev, I don't give a shit if your name's Charles Oliveira and you and if you hold the record for the most submissions in UFC history. I'm jumping right in that guard and I might land some ground and pound. I might pass your guard. And I, I might end up submitting you too. And the reason I love that mentality, um, I mean, for a lot of reasons, right. I can go off on a tangent about it. But so you compare and, and all respect to Poirier, who I think is a Hall of Famer, Gaethje, who's one of the most exciting fighters of all time, and anyone else that's dropped Charles Oliveira along the way. But it's a different mentality to to follow up inside a guy like that's guard and to foreshadow something happened at UFC 300. I'm not saying Armin Sarukian's going to win or maul Charles, which I think he might. But I'll tell you this. If he drops Charles Oliveira, he will also not be shy to jump right into the guard of Oliveira. Like... Which was the which was like a big talking point I had of why Islam would be Charles. Right. But whereas... Poirier and Gaethje and them, man, I dropped you. Get back up. 
recover. <laughs> I'm not going into your fucking garden. Yeah. Armin and Islam will. That's why I think Islam or Charles was so dominant. We are we already mentioned Dillashaw Burrell. So yeah, those are my honorable mentions, man. And I, man, I think we came up with a really I, good. List. I think and, so too. And the thing about it is, I know that some of the fans are going to comment on some that we missed that are probably going to be blatantly obvious. And I actually want you to do that because I want to like add to my list, even if yeah. it's not going to be on the show. I want to go back and rewatch some of these classic fights. Um, I know Dan Tom, you know, feels the same way. You know, I'm not trying to act like I'm better than anyone by like saying I'm some MMA historian, but I really do love this sport. I really love the history. I love seeing how all the weight classes have evolved the performances how they're getting better how there's new cutting edge techniques technology the way these guys not just their techniques but in terms of athletic performances but there's also a lot of parallels to the old ufc to now like certain things it's still a fight at the end of the day so when when i told you my number one was adesanya and gasolum and anderson anderson versus chael those are fights that happen over 10 years you know separate from yeah. each other or something like that i'm not i haven't done the math but right. just saying like but certain themes stay consistent whereas the sport keeps evolving at the same time so it's just a it's just a beautiful thing and dan tom um next time let's we can i know i can do a fucking four i know i know yeah no this MMA is great history, man but this dude th- th- thanks for having me and thank you for uh to everyone for listening for real yeah no definitely uh just 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 a couple more for me um, before we get out of here, uh, some obvious ones, not so obvious. One is just a '90s fight that, like I talked about, Couture Bell four one didn't make my list. Yes. Another '90s fight that almost made it was uh, Frank Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz, which probably would have fit more themed with your list as far as comeback goes. You know, using cardio as a weapon. That's one of the first time. You know, both those fights are kind of cardio as a weapon in a different way, a comeback way from Frank Shamrock and then Couture. You know, dirty boxing, smothering, crowding the explosive younger fighter. Um, you know, kind of going into the lion's den, so to speak, and how that can work for you. Uh, but last but not least, two, one really obvious one that's probably going to be on my list, obviously just because for history, but Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey, obviously that's a, you classic. know, you know classic, classic, you know, uh, you know, say what you will about just because one, and, and I know one person performs poorly, but that doesn't mean you, you can't deny what the other person does so well and how much of it is the other person doing it so well, right? So you, you, you get really kind of careful there. You want to make sure you're giving your proper respect to the winner. So I want to mention that. Um, what no, is Dan, Tom. I ahead. mean, like, okay, so did Ronda look like shit in that fight? Yes. But that does not take yes, away from the yes. fact she was a minus 1,200 favorite. Yeah. She was untouchable up until that point. I mean, like, dude, we talked about this earlier in the pod. People were saying that she could beat Floyd yeah. Mayweather in a fight. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that she could like you know beat dudes and do all these things. like I'm not saying she can't be an untrained dude, but like they were saying, put her in there with UFC fighters and she's gonna smoke them. Yep. And 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 the last one I want to mention is another. You mentioned Sean Strickland versus Adesanya, which I like because that's like a not sexy one, but it absolutely qualifies 100. percent I mean, you look at like you know the the especially like it, it reminds me of the Dosanos fight where the reason why the Dosanos one, it's literally an impressive performance from pillar to post. Not that Pettis isn't isn't competitive. But you just look at like Dos Anjos, like the decisions that he's making, all this stuff, and uh, Sean Strickland, you know, for especially for being Sean Strickland, like he's making great decisions, good kick defense, good cage awareness, like he is just on the clock from start to finish, you know. Uh, but my other one is another Eric Nixick uh, title performance and a, a title winning one too. This is the challenger, but Ninganu versus Stipe too. 
Um, it's, you know, say what you will yes. about heavyweight. I'm definitely a heavyweight contrarian. But, like, you look at the actual, again, like Connor versus Eddie, you look at the actual technique. Forget about the hype of the names. You look at the technique, like, he's using centerline, body shots. He's he's doing, like, speaking of Dillashaw, he's doing, it's a shifting straight left hand that knocks Stipe down before the left hook that ends up putting him out right in the second round. Um, you got sprawl, uh, you excellent, like, takedown defense, sprawl, circling out to a turtle side, striking, like, Ningano's own, and then he almost goes for a takedown of his own, but then he stops. Like, he's going through, like, the whole what? MMA play. Wait, 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 he, he suplexed. He did he super yeah, Matt returned him, yeah. But then he he kept going to wrestle, but then like listened to his corner. He's like, okay, I'm gonna stop. But he showed like the whole MMA playbook. Like yeah. it was a really impressive perform like a technical performance from a heavyweight. Strategic, uh, the execution. Um don't be surprised. Even if if it doesn't make the top ten on the junkie list, it, it'll definitely be in the honorable mentions. I, I think Steve versus Ningano too. Dan, Tom, you want to know another uh, performance from your team that I would put on here, even though it's it's uh, I'm not sure if it was a title fight. I don't think it was a title fight. And I don't think it was. Uh, I mean, it's not even this sport, but Francis versus Tyson Fury. Shoot. Bro, I mean, listen, 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 listen. Yeah, no, okay. that's a great one for the loser getting it right. That's a great case for the loser getting it. But like because I know people want to say, OK, cool. He did better than we expected, but he still right. lost. But like. Bro, when you're an O and O boxer, and you're going up against someone that many people consider to be the consensus goat, Same. and even if you don't consider him to be that, let's just say you consider him to be a, a top five to top ten all time heavyweight. Can we at least agree on that? Uh, that yeah, Furious, sure. Yeah. Top five to top ten all time heavyweight in boxing I, I mean, history. I, I won't. I, I'll let my guy Kyle Max speak for that stuff, but but I'm not. I'm not gonna call. I'll go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, I'm just saying he's one of the best ever. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, re- absolutely. the reason yeah. I said top ten is because I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that's like, right, oh, yeah. I, put, I put him ahead of right. Muhammad Ali and Tyson. It's just different right. eras. But yeah. I'm saying like when, sure, sure. when you – if that's a fair. Mount Rushmore had ten heads on it and it, when we're just talking heavyweight. Heavyweights, probably yeah, yeah, heavyeights. yeah, yeah, heavyweights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure, right? sure, that, that's, sure. That's what I'm trying to say, sure. right? Sure, yeah, sure. So for this – what's what was Tyson's record like? What's his record like? Forty nine and zero. I know uh, yeah, Floyd's fifty and zero, but it's just something stupid like a million and zero, right? <laughs> and this O and O dude, I get it. He's from another sport. I get it. He was a champion in that other sport, but keyword other sport. Like I yeah. mean, like a, a dude can be a fucking baseball World Series champion. Does that mean he's about to go into <laughs> what's something similar? To, okay, is a hockey champ going to automatically be a soccer champ? Like. like so to go in there against the best guy in the world, underestimate you or not, and to have a performance like that where people arguably thought you won, you dropped the guy, you yeah. won rounds. Like that, I know it's not UFC and I know it's not a MMA, but goddamn, props to Eric Nixick and Francis on that, bro. Hey, I'm glad like, I'm glad you brought it up because it's 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 the only it's the only one you can think of where like where, who could qualify for this list off a loss, right? It's really hard to do an MMA, right? I couldn't think uh, of I could, I could I I tried to think of it. I tried. Shogun against Machida the first time, but that's to a lesser extent. That is that is and 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 that wasn't like the sexiest fight too. So even though like you argue that he won cuz I was thinking the same thing like one of the cheeky ones I was thinking maybe like what could we do Dominic Reyes over John Jones and it's like no because even if you do want to make the argument for scoring it for Reyes, right? The thing is Reyes didn't really look too impressive in rounds 4 and 5 to me. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. like it, it, it's not a great performance like you know like Thank I want you. I want to be cheeky and contrarian like to think of something, but I couldn't think of anything and you have to go outside of the sport granted, but you're right. That's like that's probably the best argument 
I mean, there's a lot of fights where you lose, but your stock goes up. But as far as at a championship level like this, at that top level, that's probably the best example right there. The real life Bro, Rocky story. <laughs> Going into that matchup, I was like, "Yeah, well, I hope the uh, brain damage is worth the paycheck." And then, like, and then, and then he drops Fury. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, so, bro. All yeah, I bet, like, all I bet was the over. And uh, well, I think I put like something small in Ngannou KO just for fuck it, fuck around. But I was like, "Okay, Fury's probably gonna win this." But they put like the over at like. Uh, plus 550 and then it was like plus 660 or something i think for a fight to go to decision so i was like oh, i'm gonna just sprinkle on those and like i couldn't even believe those hit like i was like oh hopefully this just lasts long enough and i i was just in awe but yeah that was a great shout this was a great episode man if there's anything we left out please let us know dan i'm gonna shoot it to you before we get out of here anything you want to plug but but i just want to encourage people um if you're a fan i know i get you know I get analyst nerds like myself. I get degenerate gamblers like myself. But if you like, you know, uh, the gambling on fights, the breakdowns, the analysis, and coming from somebody who's been around and can talk, you know, the sport like this, like Dan can, I, I highly suggest you check out his show, Half the Battle. You can find it on all podcast platforms. Uh, my man kicks ass on YouTube. I use his name tag. Is Dan Levy, but at Best Fight Picks. That's where you can find him on Twitter and on YouTube. Before I take all his plugs away from him, um, Dan, uh, any last words on this show uh, and where people uh, can find you, what you got going on, anything? Firstly, have you ever met Francis Ngannou before? Because I know he's in Vegas around where you're at and all that. Uh, like, I'm in the like, same room you... with him a bunch, but I've never, like, talked to him or, like, hung out with him or anything or nothing like that. No, no, no. I've never took a picture of him now that I'm with, with him. Right but have now, you, have you shook his hand? No, you no, yeah, I have, I have, yeah, I have, of course. I interviewed okay, the guy, okay, yeah, okay, I, I okay. shook his hand. Okay, I, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in the, yeah. So you know how PFL came to Atlanta. <laughs> so you know how PFL came to Atlanta for like three weeks in a yes. row, right? Like yes. the last two years, right? Yeah. So Hennon Ferreira, he's like the PFL heavyweight champion. He's like, what, 6'9", just fucking monster. I shook his hand and it was like, oh my God. Like, right. And like, I... I'm a shorter dude, but like I'm like a thicker dude. Like I, I wear like size 11 shoes, and I got like pretty big hands and shit like that. Hand in Ferreira's hands, it, it was like I was like, like shaking Bigfoot's hand. But then, when you remember the Francis Ngannou and John Jones face off, you know yeah. that was in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Okay, so I was there. So I met Francis backstage. I shook his hand, bro, and it was like. <laughs> It was like I shook the hand of the Incredible Hulk. It was like, bro, it was like what this dude could do to to me to, to everybody in this building. He could squash me like a bug if he fucking wanted to. It was like, wow, like specimens like this exist. So. If I if I do one video edit, I'm just gonna edit right where Dan says that. I'm gonna edit the scene from. Uh, the, I'm gonna date myself here with a random reference, but 1978's Animal House, uh, where they go in the Otis Day in the Nights Club. <laughs> this guy goes, do you mind if we dance with your dates? And you see like this this giant black guy put out his hand, and then this little white girl's hand goes into his hand, and it almost disappears into his hand. It's just, it's super tiny. This is iconic scene. <laughs> That's what I pictured yeah. when Dan was like, because Dan's not, you know, Dan's not a small guy. Like, he's, 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 he's he, I mean, I haven't met you in person, Dan, but I'm guessing, you know, you're around my height, an average size guy or whatnot, like, uh, so I, I could imagine that same effect of Ninganu's hand having that on your hand, even though you're not a small guy. Bro, it was crazy. Yeah, it was insane. Um, did, what was the what was the uh, book you referenced? Sorry, 
Animal what? Uh, animal it was a farm movie. Or animal a- House. A- animal Animal House. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, not, not George Orwell. No, no, this is like one of the first National Lampoons movies. Uh, like those oh, National Lampoons. Yeah, okay, this is one of the yeah, first yeah, ones yeah. that kicks okay, it off for them. Okay. Yeah, this is where Dude, they. Those are fucking hilarious. Yeah. I gotta catch back up on those. Yeah, this is one one of the ones that technically uh, kick it off and stuff, and it's just kind of a it's definitely a classic comedy, college frat house comedy. Check out Animal House, folks. I reference it enough, and uh, I'll definitely be back here uh, on this same channel. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this. Give it a thumbs up. Uh, go support my guys, Dan's channel. Uh, you can find us both uh, on the artist formerly known as Twitter. The name tags you see below at Dan Tom and May for me at the PYM Podcast for the podcast at Best Fight Picks for him. Uh, thank you guys again. Again, don't feel afraid. Uh, don't be shy. Even though it's post tense, uh, you can still leave your comments. I encourage you to. Dan does too. Uh, this is all fun. I love doing this. First one of the year. Thank you so much for coming on with me, Dan. For the rest of you guys, enjoy the fights however you want to enjoy them. Uh, Love your family, love your friends, be good to your animals, whether it's cats or dogs, and always protect 